0: Hello and welcome to the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. This podcast comes out every Wednesday and it covers new movies, independent movies, film festivals, comic books, TV shows, interviews, and so much more. You can follow the podcast on social media platforms at About to Review. If you want to support this podcast, you can head over to the website abouttoreview.com. Click on the support tab and there's a PayPal link there, or just go on PayPal and find some information. I will also be putting that on social media. So chip in a dollar if you can, that would be amazing. Uh, it goes towards all of the amazing uh, red carpets and guests that I have on this show. So thank you very much for your support. On today's episode, there are going to be three different things, two new movies, Atomic Blonde, and Detroit, as well as An interview with Matthew Cherry, who has a Kickstarter going right now for his new short film, Hair Love. There will be an interview with him on this episode. Super excited about that and his new feature. My guest for this episode, finally, after (laughs) by hook and crook, uh, I had I rolled out the red carpet and everything. Welcome to the studio, the president (laughs) of the Seattle Film Critics Society. Mike Ward,
1: well, hello, John. That guy <laughs> named John. Right. The, the, uh, the, the red carpet was nice. Um, mm-hmm. If I if I could just, there was a little smudge on the corner
0: oh, If you could just next time, I mean, it, I well, got to fire those guys.
1: That's that. You know, we've all been there. Right. Holding out red carpets is not easy, but I appreciate that nonetheless. Thank you.
0: No problem. So, uh, Mike Ward, as I said, president <laughs> of Seattle Film Critics Society, and also of Should I See It dot
1: dot com is owned by somebody in Paraguay.
0: I take it you already reached out to them.
1: Yeah, no, I don't have any kind of scratch to buy that from him. So he can just go. It doesn't even have a thing. It's of course not. It's just like not. parked. And so Crazy. just park it, enjoy it, and I'll take the .NET and do with that what I can.
0: Sounds fantastic. Uh, and then, Mike, you have something to say, right?
1: I, I actually really want to do something. Can I can oh, I just ask you? You can. Can I, can. can I introduce the theme song?
0: You can. Okay, 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 okay. <clears throat> All right, here we go. The theme
1: song.
2: Boom.
0: Before we get into uh, my amazing guest, Mike Ward, I want to throw to a very special interview that I was able to do with Matthew Cherry, who is a, an independent filmmaker. His new project that I'll have Kickstarter right now, as you're listening to this, is for Hair Love, the short story, the short animated feature that he wants to make is in the process of making just about fathers and daughters and especially in the black community and how important it is to have positive imagery of fatherhood. So what I'm going to do is cut to that interview uh, right now and then I will be back with our guest, Mike Ward. So I'm now welcoming to the show uh, the one and only Matthew Cherry, who I'm very grateful that he had time in his busy schedule to be on this podcast. Welcome to the show.
3: Oh, no. Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is awesome. Uh,
0: so your new project. Uh, I say new because you have a bunch of projects. It seems like always going on. Your, <laughs> your Twitter game is unlike, I think, anyone I have ever seen. <laughs>
3: <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> uh,
0: but your new project that is on Kickstarter right now is called... Yeah hair love
3: yes yeah yeah it's hair love yeah we'll um by the time this airs we'll have uh seven days left in our campaign so Mm -hmm. we'll have like a week left and yeah man it's just been crazy you know um this is our today well this is technically our 21st day but when Mm -hmm. this airs it'll be our 23rd day of the campaign being live and yeah the response has been insane like we at this point we've raised uh like 191 thousand dollars on the campaign Uh uh-huh our initial goal was 75 um but i always knew that we were going to need at least six figures to really do this right okay and you know our 200,000 was kind of our next stretch goal and really just animation is just a crazy expensive medium you know what mm-hmm. i mean like it's kind of the big reason why i had never attempted it before um i just always felt like you know, I was going to need to at least be able to raise at least a hundred thousand and even have a conversation. And mm-hmm. like you said, with the whole Twitter game, to me, that was like really key and even feeling like the timing is right to even attempt to do something like this. Right. Because um, I forget what study it says, but they say, you know, you want to have at least a thousand like true fans and supporters uh, that, that support your, that supports you financially. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If you want to make a living through your art and, just kind of through random tweets, you know, just talking about politics, talking about pop culture or whatever, you know, I've been able to like really kind of like double my following in the past year. It was all kind of done um, with the idea to just build up, be more engaging, kind of like just make sure that whenever I did do my next Kickstarter campaign that, you know, we could potentially try to raise more money Mm -hmm. because these are people who, you know, just believe me, you know, they trust me. It wouldn't matter what project we did, you know, they would be kind of back and more, you know, me and my team, as opposed to just like whatever the specific project was about.
0: That is awesome because, I mean, yeah, like I said, the Twitter game is crazy. I mean, you have, (laughs) you said that you have doubled your audience in the past year because right now you are just above like 75k, which is madness.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Like last August, literally last August, um, I, I had like 30,000, it was like 30.1, um, like 30,100 followers. And, um, You know, again, just being real conscious of, you know, just just tweeting about just pop culture, you know, trending topics. Um, the one thing I'll tell you that really kind of empowered me was uh, Trump being named president. You know, Uh no seriously, which is
0: funny because it has empowered a lot of people on both sides.
3: (laughs) Right. No, no, seriously. And I think the thing for me is like before, like probably like a year ago. You know, like, my my stuff was real plain. Like, I, I was trying not to be an opinionated. I was mm-hmm. trying not to ruffle any feathers. You know, my stuff was real general. Like, okay, this is what I'm working on. Stuff like that doesn't really give people a sense of who you are as a person. And when Trump got elected, you know, I just kind of, I'm not going to say lost it or snapped or anything, but just, <laughs> you know, just like you, you realize how powerful your voice is. And, like, man, I just can't stand by and just, like, not say anything. Mm-hmm. And just through kind of talking about him, And just like how messed up kind of things are right now, just randomly people connected to it. And, you know, then from there you talk more about pop culture stuff with with kind of like the same edge and Mm -hmm. that works. And, you know, so I I think right now my my thing is just kind of more, you know, using reaction gifs and pictures that (laughs) kind of make sense. And, but also trying to do my best to kind of help other artists too. You know, I think there's power in, assisting other young artists in in ways that I felt like I never really had the same um, mm-hmm. kind of support. But but it all has kind of worked to kind of culminate into this Kickstarter campaign. It's been pretty, pretty crazy. Well, I mean,
0: and the basis of, you know, the Kickstarter campaign, of course, is, is hair love because you really wanted to right. show the representation of not just black fathers and sons and daughters, but just the black family in a way right. that unfortunately just does not really get represented as much as we would like
3: no no Uh, what's so crazy is today is the 25th anniversary of the very first animated feature film that was ever directed by an african-american in baby's kids that came out yeah yeah. that literally came out 25 years ago today in theaters july 31st 1992 um Peter Ramsey was the, I believe he was the second African-American filmmaker to direct an animated feature film. This was like two or three years ago mm-hmm. in Rise of Guardians, but he was the first to do it in this new style, this computer generated right. um, kind of 3D space. And so like in 25 years, there have been roughly two black directors that have had the opportunity to direct an animated feature film that have kind of, you know, and even Peter's film didn't even center really around a black family, you know, mm-hmm. it was more about all the different You know, Guardians come together, the Sandman, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, etc. And so it's just like, just crazy how, to me, in the animated world, animals get humanity, little yellow pill objects get humanity, (laughs) dragons, like, you know, all these kind of fantastical things. But people of color are still regulated to the sidelines, the best friend, the sidekick. You know, even in Incredibles, Brozone, you hear his wife, but you don't see her. You know, so it's just
0: like that. Which, granted, Incredibles 2 comes out next yeah, we'll year,
3: see we'll you know, me see maybe we maybe... need to see you, honey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, with your social media presence, you might be able to make that happen. I'm just throwing that out there.
3: <laughs> nah, nah, it's crazy. Cause, uh, Fr- Frank, uh, Abney is actually, he's work he's finishing up work on, um, Coco right now, but I think he's going to end up working on Incredibles too. Um, mm. he's one of our executive producers. So uh, hopefully I can get the inside info on whether or not honey is, uh, <laughs> being being created or not.
0: I'm trying to think what hashtag we could use to to keep that going. <laughs> So know, right? hashtag honey incredibles, you know,
3: <laughs> right. You got to think of something creative for sure.
0: Nice. Uh, so one of the things that I find fascinating, just kind of about your, you and your story. Uh, <laughs> the first thing is I hope you're not offended because right now I'm wearing a Seattle Seahawks shirt
3: oh, man, so, good. <laughs> uh,
0: because you, I mean, you spent a few years in the NFL, you know, with yep. a few different teams just going around just doing your thing, which is incredible. You are the first uh, former NFL player to be on my podcast. So that is pretty amazing.
3: Oh, oh, no worries. No worries. That's awesome, man.
0: (laughs) And so what what was that like when you were doing that? Did you always have a passion for film? Is it something that you knew you kind of wanted to get into, but you were not sure how or when did it start for you?
3: You know, I've always been interested in... I guess, like, just film and entertainment in general. You know, like, just growing up, you you see different animated films, and, um, you know, just take a liking to them. Uh, Winnie, Winnie the Pooh was actually my favorite. Uh, Winnie the Pooh. Okay. Gar- those were my two faves. And uh, growing up. Wait, Winnie and, the Pooh, and
0: what was the second one?
3: Uh, Garfield. 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 Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was Garfield about and Friends. Yep, yep. <laughs> I was all about it. And um, when I got to college, I knew that, the entertainment industry was like appealing to me. And so I actually majored in media production and radio T V broadcast. So I had a okay. major with a minor in marketing. Um and so it was always bigger than just sports to me. Like I always saw sports as like a outlet to get to because I knew sports weren't forever. You know, I had mm-hmm. a few friends that made it to the league and their careers were fairly short lived. You know, they say the average is like three seasons, I believe, right. which literally I did. Um and a lot of it is outside of your control. You know, that was the biggest thing, I think, that opened my eyes when I made it to the league. Like, here I was, an undrafted free agent out of college. I went to the University of Akron. You know, all conference. You know, the whole thing, I think, mm-hmm. that you have to be when you come from a smaller school. But in training camp with the Jaguars in 04, my rookie season, I really saw how much it was outside of my control. You know, mm. like, I was, I was probably the highest paid undrafted free agent. My signing bonus was 10000 Wow. Major- this guy, you you probably know him if you're re- repping the Seahawks. Uh, remember Reggie Williams from Washington University? Oh was yeah, over- yeah, yeah. So he was like the number one draft pick for the Jags that year. He was like right, ninth, right, eight or ninth overall. To give you perspective. His signing bonus probably was like ten million ish.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, is that you know, all? Oh, okay, sure.
3: No, <laughs> no, no. It definitely was in the mills. Maybe I'm putting too much on it, but just to give you perspective. So yeah, but number one draft pick signing bonus is like $10 mil. There was like a fourth or fifth round draft pick, Ernest Wilford. His was like two or 300000 mm-hmm. Mine was 10000 And I was the highest paid under the free agent. So like...
0: And you thought you were just balling out of control at that point. You are just like,
3: $10,000, No, No, I mean, but like... <laughs> but just to give you perspective, it's like... You know, to me, that's like an investment that this team is putting into these players. So no matter how well I do, they still have more invested into these two other receivers that are rookies as right. well. And, you know, just... I really saw early on that like things were outside of my control in terms of being able to stick and stay in the league. Like people would have had to literally get hurt for me to get mm. an opportunity. Like I was doing great in camp, wasn't dropping anything, you know, it was balling out articles being written about me and everything as being kind of like this, this dark horse out of camp to make the team. <laughs> and because nobody got injured because Reggie ended up like signing kind of late at, into camp, you know, I ended up getting cut and then resigned to the practice squad and you know, like, Anything I think with the league, in particular, the way you come into the league is like kind of like your 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 destiny <laughs> for how you kind of stick and stay. And
0: Interesting. Once you
3: kind of get yeah, once you kind of get cut that first time, you know, it was really hard for people not to look at you as like a camp body at that point. And so I just literally did the journeyman thing, man. I was with the Jags my entire rookie year on their practice squad. Mm-hmm. The Bengals signed me the last game of the season uh, to their active roster. Obviously, with no intention to play because there's no way I would have <laughs> right. been able to. <laughs> But it was just to kind of like get me on the team the next year, and so you know from there I was with the Bengals, got cut, ended up going to NFL. I mean, uh, Canada, Canadian football in Ottawa for for a couple weeks. Didn't really like it because that was like the renegade last season before they folded. I think mm-hmm. they came back as Red Red Blacks, and then um came got, got cut. So when I left Ottawa, did a workout with the uh, Panthers and the um, LA Arena team at the time, and ended up signing with the Panthers in NFL Europe. It's just imagine how many times I had to move and my bags yeah. weren't packed. You know what I mean? Like literally nine, lived in nine different cities in three different countries in a three-year period And I was in the league. So, you know, you just get over it and you're like, man, okay, next opportunity I get to make a little bit of money at this, like I'm going to just save it and I'm going to use that to move to LA to just kind of start over and be a PA. And um, I didn't know I was going to direct. Mm-hmm. But I knew I wanted to live in Los Angeles or New York where production was heavy and kind of get into it. And my thinking behind it all was just, I'm going to just start from scratch. I'm not even going to tell anybody I play ball. I'm going to just be Matt, the PA. You know, I'm going to just learn this business from the ground up, awesome. kind of see what it is I want to do. And then later, if it makes sense to mention it, I will. But if not, you know, I don't want you to judge me from what your perception of an NFL player is. Of course. You, know, you think we all throw money at stuff and don't really care about the business and all this other stuff. And I just wanted to really learn it from the ground up.
0: When was the first time that you kind of either – got outed or that you that it kind of came up in a in a conversation was it a positive situation
3: yeah no no it's always positive um you know it's always positive it's because it's obviously it's like really unique um mm-hmm. actually came up i think one time when i was a because you know like i'm a bigger dude too you know i'm like 6'2 <laughs> right. like you know 210 or whatever so you know i was always like one of the bigger um you know pas as well and people would just ask and you know sometimes you just the vibe is right. You, you mentioned it, mm-hmm. and I think uh, it, it came up with one of my uh, bosses, like a first AD or a UPM that hired me. And they actually ended up being a Bengals fan, so you hmm. know it kind of worked out, you know, in a positive way. And he remembered me and everything, uh, so so that was cool. But more often than not, you just never know because some people like you know, like you said, the Seahawks are your team. Right. You know, some people <laughs> may feel some kind of way about the Jaguars. Who knows? Right. You
0: know. <laughs> nice. Now, when you were when you were in the league, and I mean, you mentioned the playbook before and how on that right. last game of the season, there was no way you're going to know that playbook because right. anybody who has ever seen an NFL playbook, right. those things are crazy. So was it, was it beneficial to you once you did start creating your own films and especially your first film that you directed the last fall in 2012, right. did that come, did that come into play? Did it help with that kind of playbook mindset when you started to work through the production and work through the script and that whole process? Yeah.
3: I'll say um, this—not necessarily the playbook element, but just the whole teamwork element for sure. Like knowing that no one person's job is more important than the others. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I was a receiver, but you know, a lot of times receivers get a lot of the glory as well as quarterbacks. But if the lineman doesn't block and you run a great route and the quarterback is sacked, it's all for nothing. You know what I
0: mean? You're thirty yards down, thirty yards downfield, and nothing is coming to you.
3: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, the, the, the water person doesn't get you hydrated properly. You know what I mean? Now you're tired and now you're cramping up. You know, mm-hmm. So I think that that whole thing with football really. Translated well to filmmaking, because you just realize that it's very similar in that way where literally every piece of the bu- puzzle has to work together in order for a production to get done. So, you know, people ask me what was more di- what's was more difficult playing football or being a filmmaker. Filmmaking to me is more difficult because you're responsible for everything, you know, like mm-hmm. everybody who's on set is there at your call, you know, like yeah. this is your vision. Why is the shirt red? Why is the set look like this? <laughs> why is the actor talking like this? Why mm-hmm. is why this particular food? I mean you're literally like in charge of every major decision as it relates to your movie. And with that, you know, just comes like a lot more responsibility and a lot more stress. Um and it's kind of how I feel like it would be comparable to, like, being a head coach mm, where, okay. you know, you have to, like, man- be good at talking to people and managing people. You know, no- nobody wants to work for an asshole who, you know, <laughs> is mean to people and thinks it's all about them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's just different with football because of football, like, look, when me do my job, I'm going to beat my man, like, and-, and that's what it is. And so that-, that that's where I think the biggest difference is.
0: Okay. I mean, that, that absolutely what. makes sense. Because, yeah, once you switch roles into that director and then you have your hand in 20 different cookie jars trying to make sure everything, you know, goes off smoothly is, is a task for sure.
3: Right. Yeah, for sure.
0: Now, from that from that first film in 2012, that you directed the last fall, which was about, you know, the NFL journeyman, right. you know, and, and that whole process after his kind of career is, is cut short from 2012 to now. What is the thing that has changed you the most as far as filmmaking?
3: Um, hmm, that's interesting. You know, it's hard to say, man. I mean, like, I feel like, I feel like, initially, I, I really thought that I was just going to be doing like nothing but sports movies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like, um, because I mean, even when I signed with uh, my agent now at ICM, you know, we we were getting a lot of projects like that. You know, and I get it. You know, I used to play ball and everything. You know, so it makes sense. You know, it's like the thing about it is like they're going to put you in a box anyway, so you might as well pick your own box.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But I, I would say, within a since doing last fall and doing other projects, like doing more short films, doing more web series, doing more, um, I mean, literally a little bit of everything music videos, et cetera.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, I, I think that it's, um, this has been awesome because you kind of like see yourself like bigger than just that one genre. You know what I mean? And I think that also has kind of given me a lot of confidence to even attempt like an animated project, which really is unlike anything I've ever even done before. Mm -hmm. But I just think like throughout the years, the biggest thing is just kind of having confidence and just telling a variety of different types of stories, you know, because like a human story is a human story. And the biggest thing for me is just like humanizing it's going to sound crazy, but just humanizing people of color, you know, I think... <laughs> not, filming, I mean,
0: it, it does not sound as crazy as as people would think, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I totally get it.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I just think like, that's the most powerful thing that can be done with, with being a filmmaker is just like humanizing us. That's why even a project like Big Sick mm-hmm. I think is so important. Projects like, even Coco, the animated short film that's coming out, because right. you know, like, to human beings' fault, like, we don't really try to get outside of our comfort zone, you know, like if I'm black, you know, I'm not really thinking about how a white guy's family dynamic might be. I may not be thinking about what it's like for a Muslim American, you know what I mean? Growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think media is kind of like that thing that allows us to get those glimpses into that lifestyle and, and, and see the humanity in it. You know what I'm saying? And I think even something as simple as like somebody seeing a black family in an animated CG space, to do wonders for just like humanizing us, do wonders for like young kids' self-esteem, you know what I mean? Because like hair is such a big thing in our community. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're not, our our hair isn't meant to be played as if it's the norm. You know what I mean? Like you look on any magazine cover, straight hair, yeah. blind hair, blue eyes, you know, like the, the the most popular models don't look like us. So a young child seeing that, they're not going to feel confidence. They're not going to feel that same confidence in themselves that a young white kid may feel because, they're not made to look as if they're the norm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just think a like this can really go a long way and help normalizing that.
0: Yeah. normalize <laughs> <laughs> For sure. What is the main thing that you would want people, that you want people to feel when they watch Hair Love?
3: Um, You know, for me, it's uh, all about humanizing us, you know, humanizing the, the, the family dynamic. I think uh black fathers in particular, you know, I think, probably really out of a lot of the depictions in mainstream media i feel like black men kind of get the shortest end of the stick
2: mm-hmm.
3: um you know we're depicted as not being there in our kids lives we're depicted as being abusive deadbeats you know we, we have all these kids and we're not in their kids lives you know when we're not in our kids lives and things like that mm-hmm. and mind you there may have been a time when that was a little bit more commonplace there may have been they're always like you know, exceptions to the rule, I think, in every race, you know, you yeah, have white guys are deadbeats, Latino, <laughs> et cetera. Right. But for us, I feel like it's always depicted as the norm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, you have these strong black women who have to, like, despite all odds, like, you know, pull it up without the men being in their lives. And I think it's just different now, in that, particularly with young men, you know, I have a lot of friends who are young fathers, and even if they're not married to their you know, the, the mother of their kids, like they're still very much involved in their kids' lives.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I think that was a big thing with even with all these viral videos I was coming across. Like, yeah. you know, to me, the gender roles are just kind of blending more where it's like you'll see fathers pushing a stroller. You'll see a father doing their kid's hair. You know, it's like a lot of times the women are making just as much as not more mm-hmm. than the men nowadays. So, you know, you might have to take on more of the domestic responsibility, which I think is fine and is fair. You know what I'm saying? And I think the biggest takeaway I want for this film is just at the end of the day, whether you relate to the father, the mother, uh, the, the daughter, the cat or whatever, it's all about unconditional love. You know, mm-hmm. it's all about mm-hmm. what, you, what you would do for your kid. Your kid wants you to do something that they don't know how to do themselves. They're, they're looking to you to help them figure it out. You may not know how to do it. And now you have to figure it out. And I think that's something that anybody can relate to whether you were a kid yourself or whether you have kids, you know, whether you're white, black, whatever. I, I just think it's a universal concept.
0: Yeah. Unconditional love is definitely something that even from, you know, like your Kickstarter video and the the little teaser images that we have been getting from the production, Correct. that unconventional love aspect is definitely coming through and it, it is already very evident in just a little snippets that we have seen so far. So Huge kudos, you know, when it comes to that, because that message is already getting across.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, look, major, major shout out to Vashti Harrison who did our initial um, visual development on the project. You know, to me, I think those images were just so crucial in just conveying, you know, the kind of gentle giant nature of Mm Steven, the kind of precocious, uh, you know, tiny genius and, you know, in Zuri. And, you know, and also the other characters, you know, I think we don't, I think, I feel like if we don't have those images, then this campaign doesn't, isn't as, as successful as it is. So, you know, major shout out to her for sure. Then also major shout out to like people like Frank Abney, Jason Marino, who's my co-director, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Ramsey, who's our executive producer. You know cause like to me, all these people just give us legitimacy and I, hopefully people feel like this project will be just as good, if not better than a lot of these mainstream short films that. People have seen because, you know, that's really our goal in our bar. We want it to mm-hmm. be able to be played in front of a full length animated feature film, you know,
0: yeah, and, and
3: also and- made into a full length feature itself.
0: That was one of my questions. Also, I mean, you already have some heavy hitters on board, right. you know, really just industry giants that those names might not sound, you know, super familiar to people outside of the industry. Right. But you start going through those resumes, those credentials stack up. So you you have a really? great team around you already. And since you already are just crushing your initial (laughs) goal, even though, you know, in the back of your head, you had that 200 K already kind of there, where do you see this as far as what do you think you would want to get to or need to get to, to expand this past that five minute short, maybe to do like a, you know, short form 20 minutes or something further?
3: I mean, honestly, like no matter what we raise, we're still going to keep it within that five minute space. just going to kind of increase the quality you know what i mean the hair will look better the environments will look better you know like the animation is all about the man hours that you put into the different various stages be that the storyboards um be that the rigging be that the character modeling be that the lighting mm-hmm. um so all that would just literally it's all just going to go into just making it as tight as possible the, the the main reason for that and i forget if i mentioned this before is just that again animation is just crazy expensive like, very true <laughs> You know, on average, it takes about a million dollars per minute to Oof. make a uh, full length animated feature film. So, you know, unless we start getting into the 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 million dollar, you know, range <laughs> in our Kickstarter campaign, mm-hmm. you know, chances are we're still going to have to keep it as a short. But, um, you know, but but the, the great thing about doing it as a short, the even better thing about the campaign kind of taking out like how it has is that. It's, it's, to me, it's like essentially like having a pitch deck for a movie or or an idea, mm-hmm. uploading it online, and it going viral. And, and you're going viral while you're trying to raise money to make it. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect scenario, you know what I'm saying? a lot right. of times, it's viral, you know, they got like hurry up and like get the t-shirt design together and like mm-hmm. figure it out and all that stuff was already being offered on our Kickstarter campaign. But the the biggest thing is that, um, you know, I just feel like I just feel like this just proves that people want to see more diversity in animation. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we could take this to a studio and be like, look, this is concrete evidence that this is wanted. This <laughs> P- is people,
0: people want this. People need this. People desire yeah. this.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have hundreds of messages and tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram posts. Look, this is my dad used to do my hair. and I've had issues and, you know, Trouble with self-confidence in, in my hair. And I wish I had a character like this growing up. I can't wait to see mm-hmm. this made. You know, like, just things like that really just give you perspective on how major this project could be. You know what I mean? And how much responsibility you have in trying to make sure that it's done right.
0: Absolutely. That reminds me, there's a, <laughs> a picture of me from, like, I think my first year playing soccer, probably, like, first grade, where my hair is just out and everywhere. Like, kids behind me are trying to, like, peel it back to try it so they can get in the picture, you know, so right. <laughs> those representations were like growing up, there were not really that many representations of, of kids like that. So hopefully, you know, this is that positive message, you know, that once people see it, that acceptance, you know, that, oh, okay, this is okay <laughs> to do right. this. And not only is this is okay to do this, but you know, the, the fathers from those viral videos that you mentioned, the ones who are kind of struggling with it and being like, I really do not know what I am doing, but I am trying, you know, but I am here. I am present.
3: Exactly. Yeah, that's that's really what the the theme of the film is. Like I said, you know, that unconditional love and, you know, things you're willing to do for, you know, your kids and people, whether it be your friends, your family, you know, just the attempt to me, like the attempt is the most important thing as opposed to, to the end result. Will the hair come out looking like, you know, uh, a model? Maybe not, but <laughs> right. I try what i'm saying and mm-hmm. me that's that's where the, the most important thing.
0: Excellent. Uh well thank you so much for for taking the time. Uh I will put it in the show notes of this episode of all the links but uh say say it yourself as far as where people find you on social media where are the best ways to get a hold of you.
3: Yeah, um no the best ways to get at me is uh through social media, you know, I'm uh, Matthew A Cherry pretty much on every outlet, uh Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And then also my website is also Matthew dot com. So we mm-hmm. try to keep it all consistent, very easy. Uh Matthew Cherry with the A in the middle. Uh, so that's my middle initial. And uh easy. yeah, just like yep. you find me. You know, email me through the site or hit me up on social media. I try to I try to do a good job of replying to everybody.
0: With how busy you are, I mean I like I said, I mean I'm very thankful that you had the time because again, it just I reached out to you on Twitter and I was like, Hey man, this project looks great. <laughs> I would love to work something out and you were very responsive and very helpful. So, yeah, I just, I'm very appreciative of that.
3: No, man, no worries. I'm glad we could get it. get start talking, man. This is great. What was your name when, uh, on on uh, social media too? I'll, I'll follow you back right now.
0: At about to review. So on Twitter, you and I are already connected. Oh, cool, uh, cool. Yeah.
3: Great. Love that. <laughs> so. I mean, because like, I don't really base it off of like being verified or any of the other stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you cool people and you talk talking. You know, because my thing is, you never know, like, to me, the most empowering thing about social media and Twitter is just, like, you you never know who knows who, you never know who's connected to who, like, that's probably the biggest thing for me, like, even with these people that I've been able to kind of help get agents and jobs through social media, like, I may not be able to hire you myself, Mm -hmm. but if I reach your shit and, like, somebody who can hire you sees it, like, great, you know what I mean? And and it costs me nothing to, like, boost your work, especially if it's dope. A lot of times when I come across stuff, it's already got like 100,000 likes and thousands <laughs> of comments saying how amazing it is. So it's just like, shit, if all I got to do is retweet it to help you move forward, cool. Like, I'll do that all day. Like, it, it literally takes nothing away, and I think I think that's another big reason why our campaign has been so successful. Like, people are like, yo, like, this dude really goes out of his way to try to help other people get on, too. So, like, least I could do is try to help him get on as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's all, like, about karma and He's being a good person, you know.
0: Excellent. So the the short film is Hair Love. Do you have an estimated date as far <laughs> as <laughs> when? How about this? It's not an estimated date. When would you like this to be done?
3: I mean, I would love for it to be done and come out kind of by next summer. Okay. Um Just being my first time doing an animated project, you know, there's going to be a lot of learning curves and of course, nine. The fact that we even. It may seem crazy, like oh, two hundred thousand for a short film. It may seem like that's just like super epic. It kind of is, which is wild. Because last fall, our starting budget was one hundred eighty thousand. So oh, we'll wow. have. We already have raised more for this animated short than I had for my first feature film. At
0: first, I mean, and that was a full, <laughs> a full length. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And and the thing is, when I was going back and and watching that, I mean, that was incredibly well shot. And I think that the things that you learned, just being in L.A. starting. I hate, I, I hate to say starting from the bottom because in the industry, you know, people think that, but when you start as a PA and then you start to work your way up and start to like, you know, unit production manager and start doing other things and get your chance to finally direct like that film looks great. And especially being a first time director. Yeah, it was solid, man.
3: Yeah, no, no, it's it's insane. Like, yeah, I just feel like, you know, The biggest thing for us is just going to be just making sure that it's right. You know, like I'm not Mm going to rush it if it's not right. If it takes us two or three more months to make sure that it's right, you know, we'll we'll take that time. Because I I just, to me, with all these people that have supported us and backed us, it just gives us perspective on how important it is to make sure that it is done right. Particularly her hair, you know, we want to make sure that this helps little girls that don't feel like they're represented. You know what I mean? And just making sure that it's right. So ideally by the summer, but maybe it'll be take a little longer. Like, who knows?
0: All right. Excellent. <laughs> so definitely follow the Kickstarter, the show notes, uh, the link to the show notes. The link is in the show notes uh, below. And, yeah, hit Matthew up on Twitter, Matthew A. Cherry, with any of your questions. Uh, again, thank you so much, Matthew.
3: No, no. Thanks for having me, man. This is great.
0: So thank you again so much to Matthew Cherry. You can find him on social media at Matthew A. Cherry. It will be in the show notes below. You can follow the Kickstarter campaign through the show notes as well. I fully, fully support this, this endeavor. It is an amazing story that he wants to tell, and I'm very excited. If you can even pitch in a dollar, he has levels all over the place. So even though a lot of times a Kickstarter – when somebody goes to the page and they see that they have already exceeded their initial goal, that might make them hesitant to make a donation. Every single dollar will help make this a reality and make it into a bigger, larger product. So definitely go check them out. And Mike, you had a chance also to kind of look through some of his stuff.
1: I, I, hair Love, it sounds awesome. I, I, I can't wait to see what this turns into and just his excitement about it. I I'm, I'm, I can't wait to see it how it turns out
0: I'm I'm there. Awesome. Cool. Uh, so now we'll go into all about mic section. Go. Uh, that was a masterful introduction of the theme song. (laughs) So I appreciate that.
1: (sighs) Okay. I feel loose and ready to go now. Fantastic. Things are great. Now it feels real. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm hearing those tones and I just like, okay, I'm in the vibe now. Don't screw this up.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, not only do you have the the very successful website, shouldiseeit.net, uh, you've been a critic forever. You have been on a bunch of different podcasts. Uh, one of the local ones, of course, being Cinema Squabble. Shout out to those guys. Um, but yeah, so you started shouldiseeit.net uh, to do your, you do everything from movie reviews and interviews. You have landed some pretty sweet stuff in the past and also currently. So, what were some of the kind of the basis for that?
1: I, I guess when I when I started reviewing movies, I didn't have a place to put them. I I, <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, blogging and all of that was something that just seemed so just out in the ether, and I didn't know what to do with it, and I just didn't. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And it was um, two friends of ours uh, at the time, one who's very tech savvy. And we would talk about movies constantly, mm-hmm. which was something that's really defined my life since I was like seven, eight years old. Wow. Um, and my parents – we didn't we – didn't, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a moment when they decided they were going to get cable, my mom and dad. Whoa. And I didn't know exactly what that meant, <laughs> no. but I knew it was kind of a big deal. And certainly the excitement that my my parents had that we are going to get cable. And I remember <laughs> –
0: um, As opposed to, for listeners... Yes. Uh, when, when, well, should I date myself? Well, should we go back? No, but, when you? we were growing up, we will just put it out there like that. Thank you. When we were growing up, uh, there were six to ten <laughs> stations. Yeah. And on our TV growing up, you might you maybe had one of these too. There was the big dial on top that had like the, you know, six to ten stations. Yes. And then on that big dial, there was a U. Uh-huh. And then you had a smaller dial underneath. The UHF channel. <laughs> where feed. you could yeah. click through those. So I, I know I remember that well. kids ask your parents and or grandparents uh if they remember those types of <laughs> things so cable yes mm-hmm. so this
1: was a big deal and i was I was trying to remember like eight nine years old, I think when when this this happened, mm-hmm. and so I think what my parents did just in the exuberance of getting cable is right. they said when asked the question what you do you want cable?" I think their answer was. Will will take all the cable oh boy. because they got <laughs> like HBO, mm-hmm. which was like something that I didn't think they even would want to watch because growing up they watched no movies. Mm. I think their movie watching sort of ended when I was born
0: with like Gunsmoke Oh, and. yeah. No,
1: like my mom and my dad would talk about all these movies that they used to watch, mm-hmm. but never would watch movies with me. So really? it was just weird. It's, it's That's a whole other podcast. All type. right. Yeah, and, yeah. And the couch that's over in the corner, I'll lay on that and we'll talk about another thing. Right. One. But I remember this was sort of around – well, I don't want to say it was for my birthday, but it was kind of around that time because I remember coming home and like they were all happy because they had got all the cable. And they walked <laughs> walk me into the bedroom, my mm-hmm. bedroom, and there's a TV in there. Whoa. And, you know, you've given like an eight, nine-year-old kid his own TV, mm-hmm. which is horrible parenting. Yeah. I love my, my mom and dad, but I mean, honestly, <laughs> right. what are we doing?
0: And it had the HBO. You had HBO at eight and I nine? Did. Okay, see, that <laughs> – whenever, whenever somebody says and I had, oh, we, we didn't have much growing up, you had HBO in your room at eight years old. I, I had, did not have a TV in my room until high school, and I had to pay for it well, and fight my parents it for was, it.
1: We had HBO for three years because, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, things happened and we had to get rid of all the cable. (laughs) But for that three-year window, which would have been 83, 84, (laughs) something like that, um, I was, like, blown away by the fact that there was one little channel on my TV that just showed these, like, long stories. Over and over and over. Like, Mm -hmm. I'd obviously seen movies, but, like, I didn't. I just didn't conceive of a channel that could just show you
0: movies, movies all the time
1: because they didn't have, you know, this They didn't have original series. They didn't have (laughs)
0: documentary
1: series. It was, it was just movies.
0: And that was when they were just, they were literally just back to back to back to back. Exactly. Like you would maybe get the, that static fuzz HBO logo Uh before each one. Right. That was it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I even remember like
1: the the um the intro that they would show before every movie was this really cheesy. I'm sure it's on YouTube if anyone wants to go find it. <laughs> but the 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 like the camera like swings down through this like bustling city of activity and it kind of this huh. music's playing and it just sort of surges through and suddenly the HBO logo shows up. I don't and, remember that at all. Yeah. I only
0: remember like the black and white TV fuzz yeah. HBO and also kids. If you're if you're on your TV Press channel down to go away from your cable box and see what we were talking about. These days, I noticed recently when I was switching through HDMI uh, connections on my TV, that station, I guess, no longer has noise. It is just the white and black squares. you're You're right. So imagine, if you will, people watching this who have no idea what I'm talking about, accidentally switching to a channel that you did not have and immediately just... Yeah, no, it's it was it assaulting. Was, it, yeah, you're exactly <laughs> so, right. You're exactly right. So that was the first HBO logo that I remember. Is yeah. that fuzz with the HBO like blah, like coming through, and then mm-hmm. it would shut off. So the swooping that, yeah. down.
1: Interesting. Well, you'll have to you'll have to find it on YouTube later. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember that, and I just remember seeing. So so the other horrible parenting decision my parents made was that right. they let me go to sleep with the TV on. Oh boy. So. <laughs> At nine years old, I'm seeing things I shouldn't be seeing. No. But I remember thinking, this is really cool. Not, I because bet, I, I mean, bet I'm, you were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, for exactly. more than one reason. That R-rated Excalibur. I mean, oh, I'm yeah. telling you. But there were other things, too, that they would – like, they would show, like, little featurettes and things. And I just remember that being – More of an impression on me than seeing some salacious like scenes Mm -hmm. that a nine-year-old kid shouldn't see. I just remember the whole idea of it was awesome. Like here's movies Mm -hmm. and you can kind of watch them. You couldn't really pick what was on. They didn't have on demand, but they're always there. Like Mm -hmm. it became like something I could count on in a way. And Mm. so that was kind of that bubble for like three years or so. Then we got rid of cable. But then a video store opened near our house. So oh, now man. here comes the VCR rental and oh, a couple of <laughs> right? movies, right? So movies just sort of became a part of everything that I was, uh, you know, kind of – they just became a part of my life, I guess, if you were. And, and I got into high school. And in my junior year, I got hired at a local video store. Oh, awesome. That was – too had too much for its space, so now they had just purchased land across the street, and they were going to build a new place. And hmm. how cool was that? That I got hired, and mm-hmm. in like a couple of months, we're going to move all this stuff. And I'm think I just remember thinking, oh, I get to see what's actually all here because yeah. the store was too big. I couldn't really go find it all, and it just sort of became this thing. And so I'll jump forward now to back to this 2009, where my friends Adam and, and Andrea are at the house, and we just have talked about movies all this time, and I was kind of going through all this story, and I just remember him going over to my laptop and just kind of tinkering, which Adam Mm -hmm. was, you know, he's heavily into tech, so that's just not uncommon for him to do. Right. (laughs) And I remember him saying, hey, do you have a credit card? And Uh (laughs) I just, I remember looking at him, and uh, I said, Adam, what what are you doing? And ultimately, he said, do you trust me? I said, I I do. And Man, I'm not trusting uh, any of my no, friends no. with
0: my credit card, do they go online? No,
1: I know. But, <laughs> and maybe in hindsight, but I should have asked more questions. But ultimately, he set me up with a WordPress blog. Mm-hmm. And he goes, all these conversations that we've had all, these, you know, all this time and that you have with everybody, put them here. Awesome. They, they need to go here,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I said, and I, th- I think I threw up my hands. Like, what, what? What is this? What have you done? What? How <laughs> do I use the computer thing? And what
0: so, is what is the internet <laughs> exactly?
1: Exactly. And uh, he gave me a quick tutorial on WordPress, mm-hmm. and um, then my wife and I kind of talked about like, wow, is a thing. What are you going to do with it? And mm-hmm. we sort of came up with the idea of should I see it? And I, I credit my wife with the whole sort of nature of the website, which is. Everybody can review movies. And this is obviously long before podcasting and all that kind of right. stuff. So this was why why even bother? Like, What can you do with a movie review site that isn't already being done? And there was, of course, this proliferation of bloggers. And, and she came up with the idea of no matter what you think of the movie, come up with reasons yes and no.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, I, that's a great idea. But now how do I – like if I love a movie, how do I tell people not to see it? And yeah. she goes, well, there's your challenge. That is the So hook. I said, okay, I will take that challenge and – you know, here we are eight years later. So
0: that is awesome.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of just been something that's been a part of my life and, uh, I've refined and refined and refined the process, but
0: (laughs) as, as everybody in any creative pursuit should do. Yeah. You should be able to self edit and be like, does this work? Does this work? That happens all the time.
1: Some of my early reviews are awful. And I've just left them. I mean, I could go in and clean them up. Mm-hmm. No, but I think they're it. they're buried so deep in there that if someone wants to find something, well, you know, look, I'll just i'll i'll <laughs> answer them on a on a side and say, look, mm-hmm. I was young. I was trying to build something. I was young.
0: Yeah. I needed the money <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that actually that reminds me. So I will not ask the super cliche question of what are your favorite movies because that is dumb and it changes all the time. Yeah what i it's will done, ask but it changes all the time <laughs> yeah, what i will ask <laughs> what was the first movie after you got done watching it that you were like i need to write this down i need to write Ooh. write down my thoughts about this film what was that movie
1: well i don't know that it happened until i'm thinking about this now i don't think it happened until i worked in that video store because mm-hmm. well let me ask you so in high school mm-hmm. did you have a senior project
0: uh, the, the, the school that I ended up graduating with, the senior project is mainly, Hey kids, do not do crank in the bathroom. Nice. Hey kids, try and graduate. <laughs> hey kids, get the hell out of this school. Yeah. So yeah. short answer. Not really. Okay. Nice. Uh, actually I take that back. My, well, let me see my, I guess it would be my senior year project. Now, this is an interesting memory. You would think you work in the school system, Mike. Yeah. Um, when I'm not reviewing movies. I yeah. Do, yeah. My, my senior project was making the student IDs for the first time at the school that I was going to. Nice. Had never been done before. Interesting. Okay. So I remember, wow, this kind of, this dates me right now.
1: So (laughs) You you said we weren't talking about years, even though I divulged my years. So, yeah.
0: So in the year that this happened, uh, I remember it was was a relatively smaller alternative school um, due to various circumstances going to an alternative school. So I had to take pictures of mm-hmm. all the students who wanted to participate in this program. The camera that I used was, oh, I need to look up the model. <laughs> the Sony, it was the first Sony camera that took a three and a half disc. Settle down. In the side. <laughs> it was a digital camera <laughs> that was a new thing. And it was huge. I mean, it was oh, like yeah. five inches by five inches, three inches deep. It was massive. And it took a three and a half disk that's amazing in the side and at high resolution i could take 10 pictures (laughs) calm down (laughs) 10 is 10 is plenty it was madness i remember (laughs) taking those pictures (laughs) uploading them to the computer which took like 45 minutes oh yeah yeah um and then creating (laughs) the student ID. so i guess that would that was essentially my my senior project, man. So was... let me ask you that So
1: you actually, in your senior project, were able to effectuate some sort of positive change to your school.
0: In theory, I have no idea. Well, that school ended up shutting down. Nice. Um, so well, I have no idea how go. long they actually continued that process. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: You're like, I'm just going to leave you with this and I'm out of here. Like you've said, uh, you want me gone? I'm gone. So yeah. enjoy the IDs. Pretty much. My senior project had nothing to do with school. Nice. So, which I guess is con- kind of common. I don't even know if they have the senior project anymore. I, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. <laughs> you would know you were in. School yeah, <laughs> no, I, I know that. I think it's it's not mandatory, but okay. some schools will implement something similar. Gotcha. Um, and it's generally around like community service or right. reaching out, volunteering. My senior year, it was we were the first class that had to do it. Mm-hmm. There were literally few constraints on what you could do. Awesome. Now, granted, there were some like go getters that were like. I'm going to go volunteer at a food bank, or I'm going to go, mm-hmm. you know, work with homeless people. I doing, was like, doing the "Good work, yeah, yeah, of course." And I was like, "How can I fit movies into this?" Because I was working <laughs> at the video store, right? And I remember my mentor teacher who oversaw the the, you know, they they took the the seniors by grade or letter of your last name, and they assigned hmm. them to you know so. I had Mr. Graham.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I love Mr. Graham. I don't think he liked me very much. Shout out to Mr. Graham. Yeah. Is he still alive? Sure. All right. Sure. I don't know. I <laughs> hope right. so. I hope so. He let me uh, watch movies in his yearbook class. So that awesome. Was awesome. But um, so I just remember pitching this idea of wanting to f- put together a newsletter for the video story I worked at. Mm. Because we didn't have anything like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and we had just moved into this new building and it was like lots of money being spent. And so this was the idea. Like I want to do promotions and and help like build this and make it something big. And so that was my idea. And so I remember pitching the idea and my boss, Pam, shout out to Pam Mm -hmm. uh, liked the idea. And again, I won't go into all the nuance of like, The back and forth about what could go in the (laughs) newsletter and what couldn't. And if I didn't like a movie, we can't. But I remember when we launched it, I wanted to put movie reviews in there. And I remember Kenneth Branagh's Dead Again. Oh, wow. Again, I'm dating myself. But it came out on video. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want to say like January of 92, maybe? Something something like that. Or at least that's when I wrote about it. And I remember watching that movie, loving it, and going, I can't wait to write about this in the newsletter. And that was probably the first – like written review, and it hmm. I don't I don't even know if I I think I have it in my attic at home, but I don't think I've even looked at it.
0: So, Dead Again, uh, Kenneth Branagh came out in nineteen ninety one.
1: Right, I think it was on a home video in ninety. Probably either 90- the end of ninety one or early ninety two.
0: The, back then, like you had to wait a while. Like if you, if you missed the movie in the theater, yeah, you were hosed for about eight months. Right,
1: right, and my timing may be off a little bit but mm-hmm. i but i do remember that being in the first newsletter that that we gave to to our customers but yeah it's
3: like awesome. Kenneth Branagh,
1: emma thompson mm-hmm. and derek jacoby's in it it's like a hitchcockian mystery thriller um i don't even know if i well i'm sure i've seen it i haven't seen it in a long time Ooh, we, we might
0: have to do a special episode where we, where we go back my and first watch it.
1: nice yeah I, i'd be down for that but yeah
0: um so that's the one. Okay. Um, and I, I remember,
1: like, in college, I wrote, like, I took a couple of film classes and I had to write stuff about that, but I don't know that those were reviews necessarily. Mm-hmm. But,
0: but dead again, that was the first one. Yeah. After you were, after you finished it, you were like, I got to tell people about this. I need to put this out there.
1: Yeah. 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 And, I, and I remember the newsletter, the first draft of the newsletter having reviews of movies that I didn't like and Pam saying, Hey, Mike, you know, um, Like I bought four copies of this movie and they need to turn over. So can we not disparage them? Like maybe Mm. only the movies you like. can go. So what
0: you reviewed. So it was actually like from the video store. So it was like a newsletter from the store. Yeah. So it was an employee. Oof. Yeah. That I could see it as a, (laughs) what some would call a conflict of interest. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. A little bit.
1: And I just remember thinking, Oh yeah. Like that didn't even dawn on me that like, I shouldn't write a negative review if we're trying to tout like new releases and a, video store newsletter but anyway so yeah yeah
0: so dead again would be the one okay nice yeah um i so i i had to look up what camera i used yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it was the sony mavica mvc fd5 mavica mavica Beautiful. which was a line of sony that they had done with some of their film cameras but the mv5 was the first digital camera in the mavica series so they
1: tried to take the the film camera and condense it down. Mm-hmm. Well, because I mean, again,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, go I back, guess go
0: back in time sure. and remember that transition to digital photography. It was the, clunky. The pho- Yeah, the photography, the photographers back then, they needed something recognizable. Yeah. And so you give them Sony Mavica MD5. They're like, "Cool, the new Sony Mav." And then they look at it like, "What the hell is this <laughs> thing? <laughs> like, I
1: can't even lift this thing." What? Oh yeah. man. But oh, the three and a half inch
0: cartridge. The three and a half inch. Beautiful. Which, again, some people call those floppy disks. We remember when they were five and a half inch, literal floppy disks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could flop them around. Yeah, you could make noise with them. Yeah. Like not the little three and a half, in but the wind, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. But that. I that
1: mean, and the HBO, like, 1980s intro. Right? We have gone back in time.
0: We really have. <laughs> um, but that, that writing for the newspaper or the newsletter yeah. for the video store. That is pretty awesome. And that is a cool kind of entry into this thing because you did it on your own. I yeah. Think a, I think yeah. a lot of people think that there are barriers to doing these things. And even back then, this was pre-blogging. This was mm-hmm. all of that. You wanted to do it. Kind of pre-internet, quite honestly. I mean, if yeah. it was
1: 91, 92. Oh, for sure. When I was doing this. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, so, I mean, you wanted to do it. You wanted to get your voice heard and you were like, how can I do that? Yeah. And you made it happen. So
1: Well, and I, I have told people that before. You know, <laughs> I want to be careful here. But mm-hmm. there's a there's – a, a, This is just you and I. We're and, just having a yeah, conversation. Yeah. This is not well, going then, out so, to people. As I nod and wink at you, you might know who I'm referring to. But I've uh-huh. talked with individuals <laughs> right. on social media about – it's not easy to be a film critic, but it's easy True. to be a film critic. I mean if mm-hmm. you really want to pursue it. I mean I prepared for – like before I decided to like try to figure out like how to become – you know, film It was is one of the things Adam had heard me talking about is mm-hmm. that I had spent like a year like reading about how critics went about their process and yeah. like how they were getting into movies. Like, you know, that's a question. It's like, how, do I just pay to see everything or is there a way to see movies ahead of time? Because mm-hmm. these critics seem like they see movies early.
0: All the time. But like, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's not like, how does that work? You know, so I mean, there's kind mm-hmm. of and I just educated myself and that was kind of one of the reasons why Adam was like, dude, just here, here's a blog. Mm-hmm. Take all that and make it here, awesome. But I, but you've told the people to the same thing. It's you can find a way to do it. I mean, it it, it can be just as simple as figuring out how to make a podcast. Not yeah. to minimize, no, know, not work, at all, because you've built something really great here. But right, thank you. But you know, you can do a podcast. You can you can start a blog. You can design a. I mean, it all sounds like ah, oh, wow, it's work. Well, it is work. It is, and <laughs> you you have to kind of just be willing to push through and see where it goes and you Mm -hmm. will get obstacles and you'll get told no. And it's just like with anything you, you just keep, keep pursuing it. And if it's a passion, yeah. And you'll see where you come out on the other side. So I don't know. I, uh, I, I I do think it's, it's one of those things though, that people don't understand
2: like Uh how,
1: how, how this works and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, mystery is a good thing, but, um, but I don't know, like, um, I think in this age with film, you know, there's we, – we see all the time articles about, you know, what is the value of film criticism? And, well, yeah, right. anybody can start a blo- – well, yeah, that's that's actually mm-hmm.
0: true. It absolutely is.
1: But I do think that it, it – people that put in the time and the effort and they actually take the job seriously, What no matter what they make of it, mm-hmm. um, it adds voice to the conversation. And for, for sure. me, infinitely, the one thing I've learned, no matter how many movies I've watched, how many conversations I've had – I could tell you what I think about a movie. We'll talk about what I think of a couple movies together Mm -hmm. with you here later. But I'm infinitely more interested in what people not named Mike Ward think of movies. And that's Hmm. kind of always been the sort of what's happened and led me to this in perpetuity to keep going. Is the idea that okay? I'm going to put my thoughts down, but I hope that triggers somebody to tell me something that they didn't agree with, or that they liked, or I didn't think about. That makes this jogs my memory into thinking about something else, or connecting to another movie, or whatever. That's always been kind of the passion for me in this vein. Other than just I love movies, yep. I'll watch anything awesome. to my detriment sometimes.
0: Uh, you, you and I both,
1: my <laughs> yes. friend. You and we, I, we I both. We have toiled away many a night in the uh, press row, going, "Why are we here?" Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're here. Definitely. We definitely love
1: to be here. That's why.
0: Excellent. Uh and then I mentioned it before, but the Seattle Film Critics Society that oh, you championed, yeah. that you pioneered, oh, that you no, created no, no. Okay, let me version two.
1: Yeah, if, yeah. If, if we, we, were, we need to mention version two because mm-hmm. there was a, a Seattle Film Critics organization that existed from two thousand two to two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um and unfortunately it it didn't survive. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of a lot of reasons why that didn't continue existing after 2004 and i just remember as i as i you know sort of became a film critic and i and i networked and i received you know was generous enough to receive credentials to continue to do this in Mm -hmm. sort of a quote-unquote professional way that um there were these conversations about all these other cities that had film critic societies and Mm -hmm. you know sometimes it was it was about the sort of you know they get they get to see movies and they get to vote on awards. Mm-hmm. But what I was and, and yes, that's cool. But what I was really more gravitated to was was the network and the community that Absolutely. was sort of fostered in those those groups. And you know, I, we see a lot of the same people every week, and we we yep. we have the opportunity to say hi to people. We meet new people. Mm-hmm. Um, we see people come and go, but we're always kind of a congenial group with each other for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, one of the things that I really realized was. There is no reason why we shouldn't be able to have that here. And I didn't know any of the past. I, I have learned about what happened, and that's just in the past. <laughs> right. um, in in and, starting and,
0: this new thing, you were like, oh, wait, there was something else. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and
1: and it was great food for thought to hear like what happened mm-hmm. and and to appreciate a couple of folks in that iteration of the society or the organization who came forward and said – Let me tell you what happened. And so some of it was, you know, kind of off the record candid information. And some of it was, was just, you know, kind of, if you're going to be crazy enough to kind of push forward on this, watch Mm -hmm. A, B, C, and D. Right. And so all of that information coupled with an interest for people, and it was never pitched and it shouldn't be pitched quite honestly as, Hey, do you want to join a club that might get to see movies like ahead of time and vote on awards? Right. That's kind of
0: a perk. That is the tangential thing that is related to it. Exactly. Tangentially related.
1: I, I always I would always talk to people about this as a chance to just sort of communally come together and talk about film. But to also see if there's a way that the Seattle Film Critics Society, whatever that is, whatever entity that becomes, mm-hmm. um, can, again, have a voice. We can sort of be in the conversation. And so that's kind of what the focus has been. And it took a couple of years to sort of sleuth that out and have steering committees sort of work on that work and to do some outreach. And after a great sort of number of hours of work and, mm-hmm. and sort of sweat equity, we launched and have a board, have members mm-hmm. yourself. Thank you. And yes. um, <laughs> it's, it's now a thing. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, that's the only word I can come no, up with. Mean, it's a thing.
0: It, 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 it is a thing. And I, I have to give you credit for all of us. Again, like you can have an idea to do a thing, to put in the hours, to put in the work to make that thing a reality is always the next biggest and hardest step. Having the idea is great. Following through with that and making it a reality is incredible. So the work that you put into this in its first, you know, year in this kind of charter year of this <laughs> of this group has been nothing short of of incredible.
1: Well, thank you. Um but I, I also need to mention the steering committees. Because Absolutely. without them and and without their work, um, we had a bylaw steering committee that mm-hmm. met a number of times, and then we had just an infrastructure steering committee that basically said, okay, if these are the bylaws that we approve, well now we need to build the infrastructure to support that. So that way we don't have, you know, we don't sort of announce that we have this thing and and you know knock on wood, hopefully it, you know, it doesn't crumble beneath <laughs> our feet <laughs> right. moments after we announce it, right? Mm-hmm. So there were two different committees that met a number of times and that work um, and those individuals really drove this Mm -hmm. across the finish line. I mean, I I appreciate your words and and I did put in a lot of time and effort, but I'm nowhere near alone in that. And Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was really a a sum total of a lot of people's time and effort to make this happen. And um, luckily, I think that. And I'm, you know, sort of hopeful here. Again, we're in our first few months, even first <laughs> right? year. Yeah, yeah. But I'm hopeful that those sort of opportunities to work together and to kind of like argue and like hash this out and put this in and relent on that and talk about this and sort of push all that together makes for at least a stronger foundation to build from. Mm-hmm. And um, the desire is to, to you know, try to get involved in different film festivals. A lot of people don't realize that Seattle is is rife with. tiny little film festivals we have and tiny is not probably the good word because these film festivals all do great work oh yeah yeah but and they spot like great genres of film Mm -hmm. but there's a
0: lot of them and out of 52 weeks in the year yeah i would not be exaggerating if i said we had 40 film festivals throughout the year oh throughout a calendar year in seattle so it is Mattis almost every weekend and some of them span a couple weekends Mm -hmm. um I mean, everything from very genre-specific things like the Seattle South Asian Film Festival right. to the Jewish Film Festival. Mm-hmm. We had a Hungarian Film Festival. like, yeah. I mean, Seattle has an incredible film community that year-round, it is not just the one that everybody kind of knows and that we get a lot of recognition for is the Seattle International Film Festival, right. which is the largest and most well-attended festival in the country. Mm-hmm. That is one yeah. And granted, it is one that goes for almost four weeks. Yeah. But during that 400 time, films, four hundred yeah. films. <laughs> during that four weeks, there are two other film festivals that go on at that same time. Yeah, exactly. Let you, alone you've got a the bunch short of other film stuff.
1: festival, you've got yeah. the which in which includes the uh, the nifty program, which mm-hmm. is like the youth um short film program, which is awesome. But yeah, you're right. I mean there's never not something how about the double negative, how am I doing? Yeah. There's never not something <laughs> happening in film in the city. Mm-hmm. And so The idea past this first year of just sort of like getting our sea legs is to try to find a way to, I I suppose the word would be partner, but it's more just sort of kind of enter the room and just have conversations and sort of just see where we can kind of blend in and help promote these things and, Mm -hmm. and to try to just, again, add our voice to the conversation in whatever way that looks like. To me, that's. That's the goal. I mean, we might get a screener or two, or we might get to right. see a movie uh, uh, earlier than most mm-hmm. uh, for awards consideration. Right. Great. Neat. Thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> right. And, and I, will, I will love that, and mm-hmm. we should. But moreover, it's how cool would it be if we could go to the Seattle Transgender International Film Festival mm-hmm. and actually have a panel. Or we could go to you know the Jewish Film Festival, and we could we could lend our voice to you know either asking questions of filmmakers, or we could actually host a screen. I mean, it's those kind of things mm-hmm. that I think I would hope to see the Seattle Film Critics Society kind of grow into.
2: Absolutely. Um,
1: and so it's exciting. I mean, I I I I don't know where it can go. I just sort <laughs> of you know all of the cable. That's kind of my all idea on All of the cable. It. You know. Um, all of the film Critics society stuff. Um yeah. so we'll see what happens but
0: my my maybe we will call the selfish uh request. Not not request. Basically, when do we get as the Seattle Film Critics Society uh when do we get our first set of laurels on a poster or on oh, a yeah. trailer saying let's see nominated or not even a winner of best director seattle film critic society
1: here's what i'll tell you now that we're an entity now that we're a thing mm-hmm. yep. i keep using that awesome word thing a
0: legal entity um we are
1: actually um There have been studios that have reached out, wanting our awards calendar, wanting to know our membership, which we're still trying to figure out. (laughs) I mean, you know, again, first year, right? Mm -hmm. So I say all this great flowery stuff, and it's like, oh, yeah, we need a
0: membership roster, I think I still owe my membership dues. Yeah. Yeah, John. (laughs) Um,
1: Anyway, while I have you here. No, (laughs) anyway. um, So that's kind of uh, something that's happening. And so now it's like, oh, wait, this is really real. Mm -hmm. Like, oh. Okay. All right. It's oh, it's almost August, September. Oh, here we go. Maybe this year. Maybe next okay. year. Who knows? But I like it. that'll be a cool moment. Th- that,
0: yeah. That, and we do
1: do awards. I mean, we have yeah. done you know sort of informal awards, and last year we launched the society as as something that was coming, and we built our awards process into that announcement. Mm-hmm. So. And, and to be fair, 2002 to four, they had a film critic society awards or a film critic organization awards. So there is some history there, but like to have like our sort of name and logo attached to something, that would be, that, that is going
0: to be very awesome. cool. Awesome. And it, it will happen. It'll, I, it I will, hope so. It will happen That would be soon. fun. So look forward very soon to seeing the Seattle film Critics society laurels at the bottom of a poster <laughs> <laughs> or, or before a trailer or before a movie or something on a trailer. Yeah. That, that'll
1: be a cool moment.
0: Yeah, that is going to be incredible. I, hmm, this may or may not be spoilers, but I may or may not have my own, like, first personal uh, Laurel on a poster. Maybe. I'll not say what movie what? it is for. It might be coming out, a little independent feature. Um, but we will see. Okay. All uh, right. I'm, I'm not promising anything in case it does not work That's out at all. That's a hell of a teaser right there. Yeah, you know, I do what I can. That's awesome. Good for you. Well, thank you. Uh, we'll see what actually happens. <laughs> <laughs> then you can thank me. <laughs> Uh, So the other thing that I want to do on this episode, on the first episode of the month, because it is in the new month of August, is at the beginning of every month on the first episode, I read the new reviews that have been posted on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Somebody corrected me recently. Totally valid. Uh, (laughs) Apple Podcasts is a thing that is what they changed it to. I still maintain iTunes is a broken, stupid program. Yes,
1: we've Um, we've discussed this, Many
0: times. (laughs) Uh, But if you go on iTunes, uh, you can leave a five-star review there. If you do, it will be read aloud on the air. Uh, Stitcher is another great option for people who want to leave reviews, who do not want to go through the rigmarole of it may or may not getting posted like iTunes. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Sorry. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I was Uh, not the one to correct you, by the way, just for the record. I'm just, you know, (laughs) looking out for you i appreciate that with that disclosure you just made uh so the new reviews that have happened uh so far since the last episode uh three of them are from itunes first one is by that guy named evil outstanding Uh, (laughs) and it says great podcast with excellent movie reviews five stars what i enjoy most about this podcast is the amount of knowledge john and his guests have about the topics they discuss It's clear that John has a black belt in all things geek culture, (laughs) which is awesome and makes for a very entertaining and informative listen. Well, that wasn't evil at all. That was not evil. I was like, by
1: that guy named Evil, what is this going to be? I can't imagine the trepidation that comes when you see, like, the initial, before you read it, just like that. Oh, (laughs) this turned out well.
0: This did. Uh, So, thank you, that guy named Evil, whoever that is. Uh, Next one is by Decidedly Unwoke. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <And> this one, <laughs> What am I doing with my life? Uh, I need a name like that. Th- these fantastic. are pretty amazing names. Uh, and this one is titled the best movie review podcast in the game. Five stars. Outstanding. This podcast is one of the highlights of my week every week. What I really appreciate about that guy, John, is that he takes a tempered, balanced approach to reviewing movies accompanied by an ample amount of research. His reviews are almost always spot on and I can depend on him for firm recommendations. I like that because it says almost always spot on, <laughs> <laughs> which means whoever that is, we definitely have disagreed on some stuff, but yeah. that is 100% okay.
1: But it's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> change his review. He's like, you know, look, we may disagree occasionally, mm-hmm. but...
0: Yeah, uh, a firm recommendation. So, yeah. so thank you uh, to Decidedly Unwoke. And the last one on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts uh, is by Aaron L. White. I think we know that guy. Ah, I I think I think I I
1: might know him. I think I may have actually been on his show before. But let's let's see what he says.
0: Uh, That would be bad if it was like one star. I know. (laughs) We just like outed who he is
1: and all of a sudden it's just. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, So by Aaron L. White, the title is Classy Cinephile Without the Snobbery. Beautiful. Five stars. I'm happy to hear that. Uh, And he says, John and his rotating crew of co-hosts bring an awesome energy to my podcast feed every week. It's unlike anything else I listen to, and that's mostly because of the passion he infuses into everything he discusses. John is knowledgeable without being pretentious and is also one of the best interviewers I've ever heard. You can expect lots of laughs, too, as the crew never take themselves too seriously. (laughs) Absolutely a must-listen film and entertainment podcast. Add this one to your feed today. I concur with everything he said. That's awesome, though. Uh, I... I'm incredibly flattered uh by that. So Aaron, shout out to Aaron. Uh, he's another local film critic. Uh his yeah. podcast, Feelin' Film Podcast. I think he just launched another one also. He did. Or he's about to he's launch. He's about it.
1: to launch. I don't know if it's our news to tell, but I got mm. sent a Facebook page to like. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming it's a like can we say the name? I don't uh mm, mm. Okay. How, about, how
0: about this? Go to Feelin' Film Podcast. Yes, let's do uh, that. To their website. I will put it put it in the links below. Um, and you should be able to find some more information there. Yeah, um, it's a cool idea. Like mm-hmm.
1: I'll just say that it's it sounds like a really clever, cool podcast idea that I'm excited to see him cultivate.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, his podcast, Feel and Film Podcast. Also going back to what you and I talked about before, I like his method into going into his reviews because he talks about every movie makes you feel something, mm-hmm. whether it is anger and regret. Like Transformers, um, <laughs> or something like Dunkirk, you know, or something just right. this huge epic. Every film makes you feel something. They really focus on that on his podcast. So, yeah. Big shout out to him. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, for, that's awesome. For that review. Um, and then the last one is going to be on Stitcher.com, uh, which again, you can leave a review there without setting up an account, without waiting two days for it to post, mm-hmm. like iTunes, um, Apple Podcast, Apple Podcasts. <laughs> It is still iTunes right now, so whatever. Um, this pod, or this uh, review is by Yumi. Five stars. Always all, awesome. Always up to date and unbiased podcast. And then says, great podcast. John is always keeping on top of the latest movies with very unbiased reviews. The range of guest speakers keeps it fresh and entertaining. Reviews are professional yet relatable to how I would view them definitely recommend about Review for a great hearty podcast for movie fans. So uh,
1: that's awesome. Like I, you, <laughs> you just got to be like elated right now. It as is, You should be.
0: It is amazing. Uh, I am so incredibly grateful to anybody who takes the time to leave a review. Uh, it is something that like we talked about before, it might only take five minutes or 10 minutes out of your day. That is five or 10 minutes that they decided that time was worth writing that yeah. and putting it out there. So, I'm incredibly humbled. I am flattered anytime I get a review, <laughs> um, so to have these four are are awesome.
1: That's awesome. Good for you. Good for them. Thank you.
2: Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and it's it just underscores my 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 pleasure in in being invited on. Oh,
0: I think it it is my pleasure. Again,
1: that red carpet was not cheap. No, no, it wasn't. And I, I you should take it back because it was smudged. That like, smudge. Yeah, I got I, I got to get that like, taken I mean, care of. Honestly, John, I don't know what we're doing, but that's rude. Okay.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll get past it we will uh so for next month if you want to leave a review that will be featured on air uh head on over to itunes head over to stitcher um and leave a review for the show and it will be read aloud on the first episode of september
1: can, can i just mention yes that you've actually gone an extra step and made it
0: easier for people
1: ah. to to post reviews on on itunes slash apple podcast
0: slash apple podcast uh so I did create a little video on on my Instagram page and Twitter page and Facebook page uh just kind of I get it all the time. I ask for <laughs> reviews from people as every podcaster wants to have reviews. Absolutely. Almost always I get somebody sending me a tweet, somebody sending me a DM or hitting up my Facebook page being like, "I would love to leave a review." <laughs> How? <laughs> so I put together like I think a 20-second video of how to leave review on iTunes from the mobile app, like from iTunes. Right. Or actually it is just called podcast app on Apple. So it is, again, it, it is relatively simple to do. It just usually does not post for a couple of days for whatever reason that Apple is doing. They're just busy. I guess they're backlogged or something. <laughs> um, or iTunes is a terrible broken program. Uh, but yeah, so that you can find that video on all of my social media channels. Um, and that goes for any podcast that, that you listen to. It is the same process. So I definitely want to put that out there. That is not just the way you re- leave a review for mine. Whatever podcast you're listening to, if you have it on the app, you can leave a review from right there. It just takes a little bit of, of time. So huge thank you again to everybody who took that little bit of extra time and left a review. Uh, so now mm. moving on to the, the heart of the matter. Oh, no. Am I ready for this? What are we doing? (laughs) So, uh, the two movies. Oh! Yeah. Oh, those! Yeah, that is what we're here for. Okay, all right. (laughs) I guess
1: I can stumble through that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Two new movies that are in theaters now. uh, Atomic Blonde and Detroit. Right. Two very different movies. Very different. In very different genres and very different feeling, feels. (laughs) Uh, We'll start with Atomic Blonde. So, Atomic Blonde. Uh is directed by David Leach and written uh he got a credit on IMDB, which he very well should. Uh Anthony Johnston uh was credited as based on, and then Kirk Johnstad did the screenplay. So Atomic Blonde is actually based off of a comic book, and a lot of people do not know that. No. <laughs> because it is not a DC book, it was not a Marvel book. It was by a small publishing company in Portland called Oni Press. Um, they are really, really great independent publisher. Uh, Portland is a huge city for independent comic book publishers. Dark Horse is there. Image just recently moved there. And Oni Press has been there for a long time, since like 97. Hmm. So okay. post 11, Chapter 11 bankruptcy that Marvel filed in the early 90s, which Allowed all these independent publishers to really step up their game and become well-known. Right. So, the original graphic novel uh, that this was based off of was The Coldest City. Uh, With that, it had Anthony Johnston who wrote it. uh, And then the art was done by Sam Hart. The graphic novel came out, it was like 2002. Takes place 1989 in Berlin, East. Well, technically East and West Berlin before the fall of the Berlin Wall. And it is this this spy caper. What I thought was really interesting about the graphic novel, compared to the movie, <laughs> the graphic novel is all in black and white. Yes. Sam Hart has this really unique black and white style that still gives you a ton of depth while being a very minimalistic art approach to something like this. So they took a black and white comic... From Oni Press, this little publishing company, and made a huge blockbuster summer action movie with colors everywhere, similar to another Oni Press movie, or another Oni Press project, I should say, from a few years ago, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Mm. That was another right. Oni Press comic that was all black and white, done in a very unique style, that when the movie came out, it was the most colorful visual powerhouse. Bells
1: and whistles popping off
0: everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And it was funny being the comic book nerd that I am when that movie came out. And people would ask me, they're like, oh, man, is the comic like this? And I'd be like, yeah, except in black and white. <laughs> and they're like, but how? And I was like, just just go read it. Yeah. So, yeah, the the origins of the Coldest City graphic novel are the basis for Atomic Blonde, which originally did have the title. Like when we first got an email about this mm-hmm. a year ago, it seems like. It was like Charlize Theron is attached to this project, The Coldest City. And I was like, sweet. I know exactly what that is. Yeah, yeah. A few months down the road, they changed it to Atomic Blonde. Right. Still not quite sure why. Um. Well, I don't
1: want to interrupt. But when you see the movie, mm-hmm. it makes sense. When you look at the graphic novel, Atomic Blonde does not seem to fit.
0: No. At all. <laughs> she So the character in, in the comic book is Blonde for about 3 pages near the end near the end <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. but i mean hey you know they, what they they did it they took an independent project comic book and not only did they take it and get the film rights to it they gave oni press a lot of uh support with that so that is awesome because yes. then it is not just hey cool we bought this property it kind of looked cool we want to get some stars to it and blah
2: mm-hmm.
0: it was hey How can we work together? They like Anthony Johnson is credited, you know, so that in and of itself is very important to me (laughs) when I see these independent properties become these huge, you know, pictures. Yeah. So in the movie, Charlize Theron, obviously, uh, plays the lead, uh, Lorian Broughton and David Leach directed this. And this is kind of his first full movie that he has done himself.
1: Well, yeah, it's his first credit as first, a director. Yeah, because what some people don't know, although some do, mm-hmm. is he worked on John Wick mm-hmm. and didn't get a credit for it,
0: even though it is kind of weird because you can, if you go pull up some old in, like YouTube interviews, you see David Leach and Chad Stahelski, right, talking about the film, and so sometimes he was credited as co-director. Sometimes he was not right,
1: but I think it isn't unless I'm mistaken. In the final print of John Wick, his name is not there.
0: I do not believe it is. <laughs> but Stahelski directs John Wick two,
1: mm-hmm. and Leach is over here. So yeah. at Atomic Blonde.
0: So, so I don't know. So there's so a, it, maybe it a story that, there. Who knows? Th- there very well could be. What is funny is there's actually a really short clip. I think it has like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, of Chad Stahelski and um, David Leech doing like practice stunt choreography yeah. way back in the day, oh, like way before John Wick. It is just the two of them because Chad Stahelski was a stunt man mm-hmm. for, and still kind of is, except now he is making really amazing movies. yeah. And David Leach has also been around that world for a long time. He has done a bunch of like second assistant directing stuff. Uh, so he, he knows action. Uh, so with, he does. So with this film with Charlize <laughs> Theron, everybody who has seen a Charlize Theron movie where she has done anything athletic, just watching her, you are like, she has it. Like oh, she, she, totally. she can do this thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and and not to jump ahead of ourselves, but barring maybe a couple of like pickup shots or something, mm-hmm. it's very obvious. Charlize Theron is doing the stunts in Atomic Blonde. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, they don't, there's no, there's no like, you know, hair over the face or mm-hmm. shot from it. It's, it's your, one of the things that, that's great about the movie is that when it gets to the action sequences, as much as possible, they try to put you in the middle of it. Absolutely. And you clearly see Theron is, is doing all of this work on her own and it's impressive.
0: Oh, it absolutely is. And there are a ton of anybody who listened to this podcast knows that I love behind the scenes featurettes Mm -hmm. there are a ton of them for this movie you can see charlie's training in like the gym and then you can see her doing like everything you know where the main uh film crew is right next to her they have somebody else 10 20 feet away watching it like i highly encourage people to go watch those featurettes to see how much work (laughs) she put into this role yeah so to get the framework uh of this of this film Basically, so it takes place in 1989, before the fall of the Berlin Wall. She plays a, a spy in this kind of just to boil it down really basic, a spy thriller where there's an object that needs to be obtained. That object is similar to in Mission Impossible, the first one, the knock list, mm-hmm. which is this list of all of the agents of multiple countries at this point. Right. And their identities.
1: Yes, it's, it's a big deal.
0: It is a big deal. It is It is kind of the one of the go-to MacGuffins in the spy genre. Right. This is not the first time we have seen it. This is not the well, last time exactly. we have seen it. I just
1: going to say that, yeah.
0: Here is my thing. <laughs> if these lists truly exist, which I'm sure they do, in government agencies all over the world.
1: Yeah.
0: Why? <laughs> like, why?
1: Well, this is 1989. True, and And it is microfilm. It is microfilm. We did not have the internet Mm -hmm. like we do now. Have you Uh, gone
0: back and tried to watch Mission Impossible 1 with Tom Cruise? I I have not. It is amazing (laughs) because he has the knock list on a CD-ROM. Right. That we all know, even back then when those were new, they could not hold that much information. No. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) But it just, so it is kind of funny. So this 1989, it is a microfilm uh, item. That has all of these government agencies listed and all their operatives in mm-hmm. multiple parts of the world, that gets um lost, we will say it gets what a- it gets acquired by How? someone <laughs> yeah, by someone, and she is sent to go retrieve it yes so that is the loose framework of it uh Mike, so I actually I gave you a digital copy of, of this of this graphic novel you did
1: you did and i I suppose I should whisper just to you. Mm-hmm. that um, just to me nobody else is here that um i i'm not well versed in graphic novels and comic books this is so, a safe space so, go ahead okay. so <laughs> so i had um like we might be in double digits wow in terms of the numbers of comic books and graphic novels i've ever um read so okay um, just okay so we can record again for now yeah okay, okay. Go ahead. yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> uh this so, graphic novel <laughs> yeah so what about that yeah <laughs>
0: so you got a chance to read it and what did you think of of the source material for this movie
1: uh, well, the source material was an interesting read. I, I, I appreciate the background uh, backdrop on on sort of Oni Press and, and and the Sam Hart's process because it is very minimalist in mm-hmm. terms of of what you get in the graphic novel. the The plot um, is easier to follow, mm-hmm. I think, in the graphic novel than it mm-hmm. is on screen, um, which we'll talk about maybe in a moment. I I, I found the graphic novel to be a th- a very quick read
0: yeah which maybe is good or bad You yeah, would, i mean you would know is, better than i i mean it is a graphic novel that is about 175 pages right so i mean it is not and that is 175 pages of relatively and i i definitely want to give sam hart credit uh but it is relatively minimalistic uh art style right compared to something like if i give you the watchman graphic novel or the rather the Trade paperback.
1: That's that's one of those I have looked at. Yeah,
0: and that you know that one is also around 175 pages, but that is vibrant, dense, Lots of color, lots of dense. Yeah, you know, so this one it is a relatively easy read. I think that's well, a good and, way.
1: And, and, and in no way is this a criticism of Hart's work. I just I, I found it interesting that some of the panels are are repetitive. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's to me again speaking this out loud. I feel I feel brave now to say. Yeah. Not having a lot of experience with 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 these with this type of literature, um, to me, I felt like when you 're crafting something like this and you 're trying to be concise and you 're trying to you know because clearly there 's an urgency to the graphic novel mm-hmm. um, that comes across because they zip through the plot pretty quickly yeah and and it makes sense right i mean you don 't want to at least i wouldn 't think you 'd want to make a five hundred page graphic novel right i mean you just that 's just not going to happen
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so the urgency is there. But some of the panels repeat and there's sometimes just her face and shadow. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. just, there's no dialogue. It's just, you know, a panel of them looking at each other. And sometimes that repeats during the, mm-hmm. you know, and or so a
0: dialogue I, with panels in a different language, Yes, which happens multiple times in the graphic novel. Yes,
1: that's true. And I just, to be fair, I just, just kind of, I tried to decipher it and then I just sort of skimmed through <laughs> no. it, hoping that it would make sense later. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I appreciate the urgency. I, I did find it interesting that that, in a sense, where you're trying to tell a story efficiently, quickly, and concisely, mm-hmm. that you would devote panels that sort of repeated themselves. Because to me, I didn't see, I didn't see a reason. But then again, I also felt like, well, maybe I just don't have enough experience looking at sort of the context of these types of mm-hmm. of stories and how they're presented to to know that that's not a big deal. Right. Um, I will say and. <laughs> It's interesting watching the movie and then reading the graphic novel, whichever way you do that, because you realize, Mm -hmm. and maybe this wasn't as big a surprise to you, but there's very little, I don't see little, Mm -hmm. what's the word I'm looking for?
0: I'm waiting to see where you go with this. (laughs) There's very
1: little of the actual graphic novel Mm -hmm. that makes it to the screen. There are elements, Mm -hmm. there are portions Mm -hmm but it's just portions yeah. you know there's there's one significant character who's you know completely different gender mm-hmm. um there's there's elements of the story that you know like you mentioned you know she's blonde mm-hmm. in three pages near the end yeah. <laughs> um you know charlie's is blonde throughout the entire film with one exception near the end of the movie where she's not mm-hmm. so it kind of flips that around um but i just found that they 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 liked it Mm -hmm. Whoever, whoever they are, I'm assuming, you know, Theron, who was a producer that helped get this thing made. So Mm -hmm. she obviously had this in front of her and and John Stad and, and Leach and, and, you know, the brass at, um, you know, focus features who got this on screen. They liked it. They saw it. They wanted it. And then they gutted it Yeah, and then they they rewrote a lot of it Mm -hmm. and I don't know that they made it better, um, but it's interesting what they did with it Mm -hmm. and I'll defer to you.
0: Yeah. So... This reminds me of one of my, I will not say gripes. One of the interesting things, whenever you take a comic book property, yeah, and turn it into a movie, there are certain ones where you can look at it and you can be like, "This is our screenplay. Mm-hmm. This is our like you have everything laid out right there." So some of these, they have tried to nail it and do exactly what. It did in the comics, and it did not work out as well. Watchmen. Right. Zack Snyder, you can talk about him. Does the cows come home? You can have issues with him. Sure. He did like a 98% faithful job with the movie to the comic book. I could show you. I could put up the, the comic book next to the TV while Watchmen is going on and turn pages, and it is almost exactly the same to the details in the back of the shot. That is true, Right. Like he had such passion for it with one like this. They took the framework. I, I, I say that, I mean, because a lot of the main beats were the same. There's the Berlin wall. You have this uh, idea of a double agent that may or may not be revealed. And you've got a,
1: a crazy guy that she's having to like kind of figure out to deal with. Yeah. You
0: have this a list that needs to get found. So they took those beats Mm-hmm. and then created a, how long was it? Let me see. It is,
1: um... It's like, what, the running time, you mean? Yeah, the running time. It's like time. 100, it's like an hour 55, I think, or yeah. something so like they, that. So they yeah.
0: took the framework and made a two-hour action movie. Yeah. Anybody similar to Scott Pilgrim, anybody who watches this movie who's like, man, I want to go back and read the graphic novel and see how much it relates to it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> There is one fight scene in the comic book,
1: right? And it's not very long. No, it's it's a couple panels and it is yeah, it's a couple couple pages. Oh, maybe a couple pages. Yeah,
0: uh, it is in the stairwell. So they did nail that, right? Uh, which they did in the movie. Boy, but the, did they. the graphic novel was not this action thriller, you know.
1: No, it it reads
0: like. A spy thriller. A
1: spy thriller. Like, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Um, the author is escaping me. Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. Um, Oof. Le Carre? John Lacare, I think. Mm. It, it reads do like... Do the Google later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do that. Um, it reads just like a, a... Yeah, like a spy thriller. I mean, there's mm-hmm. not... It's it's just an interesting conversation to have once you once you see the, the the source material and you realize that this is a movie that that takes those beats, mm-hmm. throws them in there, and then just amplifies everything <laughs> to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the action sequences, whether it's the production design, um, you know, there was a joke made about so Charlize Theron's character has you know a bedroom that's completely lit in neon,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know the question was how does she sleep? Yeah. That has to be all that neon real annoying. (laughs) And someone said, you know, apparently with no clothes on because Uh, in the movie she, you know, is often not clothed, mm -hmm. but um, there's just, and then, you know, the thing that um, the movie plays up is, is the 1989, the Berlin wall. And Mm -hmm. it's not really, I mean, it's there Mm -hmm. for something called the coldest city. I would expect it to be, more pronounced in the graphic novel. Yeah. It wasn't. I mean, mm-hmm. it's there. It's mm-hmm. kind of an omnipresent element to the story, right. the spy thriller that's happening. But in the movie, we've got protests on television all the time. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down your wall from yeah. Ronald Reagan. We've got Kurt Loder from MTV that News. That was amazing. <laughs> which I, I popped for. And mm-hmm. we also have, and I don't mean to jump ahead of where you want to go with this, but we also have this incredible which you're never going to, you can't get this. This is just a different medium. We have this incredible, sorry, incredible mm-hmm. soundtrack. Yeah. Which is just full of amazing 1980s synth pop, um, which. They nailed it. They did nail it. It's my favorite <laughs> soundtrack. Look, I I, 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 loved the episode that you guys did. Where you talked about Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, Tim, and Aaron hit so many great points on that soundtrack. And I do love that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I just, I I popped big for this. (laughs) I did. And some of the music cues are on the nose, Mm -hmm. but they do push the story forward. For instance, when we hear in the movie Till Tuesday's Voices Carry, Mm -hmm. there's a significant reason why we're hearing that song. And the lyrics of the song push the movie forward. If I'm going to compare the two, and I don't want to denigrate Baby Driver, but I will say those songs are used more... um, as an underscore to the action. Okay. There are elements of it that do push the story forward lyrically, mm-hmm. but not as much
0: as here. And- you, like this was it was almost literal. Yes. I mean, when you are hearing the songs and you know, I mean again, anybody who lived through that time, right. A lot of those songs were about what was happening in Berlin in 1989.
1: Or even before, like they use um, the politics of dancing, which is this kind of obscure song by this group, Reflex, who, Mm -hmm. at least in the States, never were heard from again. No, This was a modest hit, I think like number 30 on the billboard charts, and they (laughs) just kind of went away. The politics of dancing, if I'm not mistaken, is used in this movie when she walks into a nightclub right after there's a conversation about war and just sort of like you know this sort of conflict that's happening beyond her sort of work that she's doing Mm -hmm. so again she walks into the club this song is playing it's timely because we've just had a conversation about the politics that are in the the, you know in the air at the time and she's in a dance club so it's Mm -hmm. little subtle cues like that where you can tell that they really didn't just grab songs that they could get rights to they really were thoughtful in their process and I appreciate that Mm -hmm. because to me I almost prefer, <laughs> I almost feel that they. Had, I wish they had spent that much time with the script, because to me, the script of the film suffers the longer it goes. Yeah. But there are elements of the movie, like that, for example, um, that I really found clever and I appreciated a great deal.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, and even um, I was looking it up because I can't remember the band name, but ninety nine loof balloons. Nana. Nana. Yes. They, that song plays into this movie. <laughs>
1: they found a ballad. I was telling Sarah Michelle Fetters, who's a friend of ours and a film critic. Um, I never knew there was a ballad version. I mean, like, oh, yeah. I know the song, but this is like a mournful, like heart-wrenching ballad of 99 left Balloons, which if you know what the song is actually about, makes sense because mm-hmm. it's actually a war,
0: a protest song. Which is like th- why they were, uh, not not why, <laughs> but how they were able to make it play in this movie – Again, it just th- – those yeah. are really clever. Like Edgar Wright gets all the credit for having so much of the music in that be beat for beat what is happening in the film. Yes. Like almost a lyrical representation or literal representation. Well,
1: the beats underscore the action in Baby Driver. Right. You know um, – sorry, I jumped in. But just – that's what makes Baby Driver in some way so unique is mm-hmm. that – maybe the lyrics don't push the narrative forward, but the beats are sort of syncopated yeah. to the action on screen. And it creates this sort of um, other world sort of, you know, that you're kind of experiencing or a sensory experience, I guess is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say, not other world, but just a <laughs> right. sensory experience that's unique and clever and intoxicates you into the story.
0: Yeah, And this one, it is what is happening in the film. All of the music choices are very, very purposely <laughs> yeah. put in there. To talk about the time, the place, the atmosphere, the mood. Right. So yeah, the the soundtrack of this was one of my favorite parts about the movie. Yeah. Like they just they nailed it. And like, I mean, like you mentioned, with the neon, it was kind of this neon renaissance. <laughs> because when <laughs> when Americans think of 1989 Berlin, whether it was East Berlin or West Berlin, we might not think of happy times and all this, so to see like this right. neon popping, the use of colors, the reds and blues. Right in this film were incredible. And especially when you take this black and white graphic novel that gives you a blank slate to be like, right. whatever we want to use, we're going to make it pop. The use of graffiti throughout the entire right. movie on the screen, juxtaposed what was happening at the wall at the time. Right. Cause it was constantly getting painted, constantly getting, you know, having messages put on it. So that was just, there were so many clever things that were done so, in this so, film.
1: So now you're honing in on my, my, criticism with the movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) and why I struggled mightily in trying to give it a rating and trying to figure out where I fell on it because it has so many things that are great about it Mm -hmm. those clever little details Um, we'll talk maybe about the action sequences Mm -hmm. that are absolutely mind-blowing one especially which is an Mm all-timer I don't care who you are what you think there is a scene in this movie there's an all-time great action scene Mm -hmm. ever But then you have the story, John, you have the story, which Uh is okay for a while, but the music can only push you so far until we start getting into twists and double crosses and triple crosses. And it all seems to come like it's in the last five minutes of an episode of WWE. And it's just, you know what I mean? Like we're, (laughs) we're just, Oh, we're almost out of time. We got to wrap this up. Let's Mm -hmm. like speed through this and. And, and everyone will follow it. I'm sure it'll be great. And you just sit there and you go, what are we, what are we doing? Like, yeah. why, why, are we, why aren't we pacing this out more? Because you've given us two hours. You've yeah. given us a lot to take in and ingest visually, orally. Uh, that's A-U-R-A-L-L-Y. <laughs> um, I mean, if you can, you know, if you uh-huh. vibe in something orally before the movie, that's on you. There but you go. Ear, ear, mm-hmm. I'm referring to. Um, there's just so much to take in. But you can't just have style; you gotta have substance. And yeah. I feel like the movie lessens its impact beyond the 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 the, the cool, yeah. and the hip. The more it goes, if you start to try to piece this together, you start seeing things like the list is just it's just a MacGuffin. It's just it's it, it there. is,
0: and it is something that again we've already seen before a lot. So if they had right, they, I feel like they tried to do a couple of unique things with it. But it ends up just being that MacGuffin. It ends up just being like, oh, they're after this list. Okay, this person is probably going to do this and this and this. You know, and so speaking of this person and that person, (laughs) uh, the other person that we have not mentioned is James McAvoy. Oh, yeah, no, that's true.
1: We talked around him.
0: Yeah. To his credit, I feel like in the past maybe three to five years has completely changed and is now one of the most consistent (laughs) – actors when it comes to performances Mm -hmm. he was somebody who he was always kind of good and you never really knew what you were going to get but after seeing split from last year right this from this like james mcavoy is solid yeah like when i what was it was it filth um from a few years ago yeah um i think so that one is like a super unique you know type of thing that i had not seen him in that type of role before and so this one i was i was really impressed with with McAvoy. for
1: me with him atonement which mm. I
0: don't want, I don't think that was
1: his first film, but that was kind of the first sort of McAvoy sort of feasted upon everybody. Right. He was in a prestige Oscar contender and, and all of that. Um, I think it was terrific there. And then he kind of just was, was fine yeah. until again, these last couple of years where I think he, for whatever reason has sort of maybe similar to Jake Gyllenhaal in a, in a lesser extent where he's like, look, I'm going to take the wrapping off. I want to find roles that, that challenge me, that are yeah. different, that are unique. Because mm-hmm. I'm not – I don't have an interest in being pigeonholed as the British guy in a movie, right? Yeah. So Split's a great example. I, I think that, you know, that that performance never gets enough credit. I know it's only been out a few months, right? It's already on home video. But yeah, it people, was amazing. people have sort of moved past that. Mm-hmm. He is doing – terrific work in a movie that sort of lets him down a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah. But he shows you all of his gifts right there. Mm -hmm. And and he is manic in this movie. And he's unpredictable. And he's really great until the movie lets him down. But I do think he's terrific. And and I think that he is a guy who complements Theron's role very well. It was great casting on their part to find these two different sort of personas that are both butting heads and trying to coexist.
0: And for a long, for, for a while that works really well. Yeah. And, and with the cast, I mean, one of my other complaints, even though this is what, something that they nailed with the graphic novel to compare it to this, the cast is relatively small. Like there are only Mm -hmm. a few major players, but in the film compared to the graphic novel in the film, it felt like there were like too, too many characters. Like there were a couple of characters that just not quite sure why they gave them so much to do and not just focus on what the other people were doing. But that was something they took from the graphic novel. It was those bones. It was that structure that they took from the graphic novel. Uh, One of the guys in this though, that as soon as I see him in a film, I get excited for because (laughs) I love cheesy action movies. uh, Daniel Bernhardt, he was the guy with, like, the kind of bleach blonde hair. Yes. The bad guy. <laughs> he almost always yeah. plays a bad guy. Yeah. He is le- le- legitimately a great martial artist, great stuntman. He gets super pigeonholed into being the bad guy. Right. And a bunch of stuff. But shout out to him. Because as soon as I saw him on screen, <laughs> I was like, okay, those two are going to get into a fight that is going to be pretty epic. Yeah. And it was. Right. Uh, at one point, <laughs> the, hi- kind of, the hyper-realism... With the fight sequences was was awesome. At one point, Charlize uses her keys as a weapon. <laughs> I'm not going to say that it was against Daniel Bernhardt, but it was. Yeah, um, yeah, So she sticks him in the face with these keys. He keeps those keys in for like a minute. Oh, yeah. Because Just not even phased. Not even phased. And in yeah. the middle of a fight, that was something that like I loved about this fight choreography. Right. Much love to one of my favorite action stars of all time one of the greatest people on this planet jackie chan you watch some of those old movies and he will punch the same person three times because in a real fight that is what happens it is not like in some other types of media one punch knockouts every time yeah boom boom done you watch those old jackie chan movies like rumble in the bronx yeah he is fighting the same three dudes for like five minutes right because that's what would happen and so in this film, that carries over right, in the best way possible. Yeah. You're not going to get the scenes
1: here where someone gets like hip checked, you know, mm-hmm. onto the ground and they just lay there and they no. don't move for the right. Re- you know, which happens in action movies all mm-hmm. the time. Someone gets kicked in the stomach and then they're out. They're just done. No. You know, it's there, there's there's some stakes at play here when when you have yeah. the fight sequences and the key, the keys in the cheek are a great example of that. Because
0: he just, he, he just keeps it there keeps fighting eventually is like oh and he pulls them out
1: oh nonchalantly though he's just he's more annoyed he's just like oh geez snip and he just rips them out and it's like on i go with my day like it it'll was, heal on right. i go kind of a thing yeah
0: that was pheno- phenomenal yeah. so i love that actor uh just for his his amazing ability to just be a martial artist be yeah. a great stunt man and to make it seem that hyper realistic right um but yeah the the scene that you mentioned before is the stairwell scene, there is an eight minute cut fight scene. Yeah. That is almost unheard of, let alone putting your main star in that role. So there, you you know, as well as I do,
1: there's a couple of little tricks, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that they pull off. To most people just watching it though, it's so well done. You're you're not gonna notice that they do a little trick, couple tricks. It legitimately looks like an eight, nine minutes straight one take fight scene. Yeah, it is breathtaking to mm-hmm. watch. I mean, in my review, and maybe this isn't the best way to start a review. I admit that, but I just <laughs> said I just asked, like, how much would you pay to see an all time great action scene? Mm. Would that be fifteen to twenty dollars? Would that be a red box rental? Would that be a matinee? I don't want to marginalize Atomic Blonde as being a one scene movie because I don't think it's that at no. all. No,
0: yeah, there are more, But, but yeah.
1: this scene is legitimately something that. I kind of knew was in there, but mm-hmm. until you see it, until you see the physicality until you see the choreography of it, and until you just see the just the the brutal like after effects of this mm-hmm. fight that's on people it it's a breathtaking and astonishing scene it yeah. It's literally one of the best action scenes
0: i've seen in years yeah. and uh, up the up there and this is high praise up there with the raid and the raid redemption. <laughs>
1: I know, in in a and I, I was joking with someone that for the sequel, mm-hmm. if there is a sequel, yeah. um, I want a scene like the raid where she starts on the ground floor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Love it! Look, we're
1: already rated R, right? Hell this yeah. movie could have gone a lot more uh, graphic, if you mm-hmm. will, with the violence, like the raid does. Let's just let's just give her a raid movie. Let's just have her start at the bottom like yeah. a video game and just fight her way to the top. Make it a short film. Do it in 30 minutes. Call it Atomic Blonde 1A. I don't care. Just give me that. Yeah. Because I'm ready for that.
0: And she she would nail it. She I, would. I, I fully have confidence in, in Charlize Theron's ability to do that. Yeah. Um, one of the other cast members uh, that was in this that, again, this, this was kind of the biggest change, I will say, from the graphic novel. Uh, Sophia Boutella is in this. Oh, yeah. As yeah. Delphine at LaSalle, which is a big gender swap from the graphic novel
1: LaSalle is in the graphic novel mm-hmm.
0: but as a man as a man yes. um and Sophia Butello, that is maybe the first nah one of the only times I've actually called her by real name and not by her name on this podcast which is Legs. <laughs> um from the Kingsman Secret Service <laughs> she pretty much will always be known as Legs. fair enough uh she is she is good in this but to keep her from being great is the story itself is the, is the well, script and what she is given to do? <laughs> uh, yes.
1: So, yes, she's. How do I want to say this? <laughs> so here's here's the dilemma
2: mm-hmm. with
1: what you're with what you're getting to. If I know where you're going with this to some extent with Sophia Boutella. So. Bladylegs. Right, right. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> not the mummy. We're not doing that. We're just. No. Ladylegs. Nope, legs. Yeah, okay. Fair yeah. enough. Um I guess the less we talk about the mummy the better. Exactly. Um, <laughs> okay, so I it doesn't spoil anything, right? I mean, the movie's out, it made 18 million this weekend, mm-hmm. weekend or last weekend. Charlize Theron and Sophia Butella. Lady legs. legs. Yep. Uh fall in love. Mm-hmm. In a day. In a day. <laughs> you have uh A Tough as Nails, Lorraine Broughton. Mm-hmm. Fall in love, almost sight, just at first sight mm-hmm. with Delphine. They have carnal relations, <laughs> and uh-huh. uh huh, and there's. So I want. To, so here's the thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm talking around it because I don't know how exactly to phrase this because I'm I'm very mindful of my words. Are trying to be. Mm-hmm. It's not, in any way, shape, or form, that there is a a same-sex relationship at the heart of this movie. As a matter of nope. fact, I I applaud that. I think that's an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Charlize Theron pushed for it. Yeah. She asked that that be included because she felt that for the character they were writing that she was playing, it made sense. Yeah. I mean, just for what what mm-hmm. her vision of the character was, again, far separate from in the Cold of City. Yeah. Um so, I applaud that. I applaud the, the boldness of doing that because we have sat through thousands, yeah. not an understatement, of these kind of movies where men treat women terribly and they mm-hmm. disregard them. They sleep with them. They, get, they cast them off. Mm-hmm. James Bond has done it in 24 movies. Oh, my gosh. So, Almost
0: every movie after he sleeps with them, he wants to kill them. <laughs> yes. Or they want to kill him because, yeah. you know, that's what
1: happens. So putting all of that on the shelf, I have a problem with what they do with Blady Legs,
2: mm-hmm, right? Thank you.
1: The character. Mhm. She's little more than a prop here. Yeah. Yes, there is a there is something uh, there's something to the relationship, but there's not enough given to us where we believe someone like Lorraine Broughton would be so easily swayed as to fall for this person. Mhm. And without revealing what happens in that relationship or or with that character, when things play out, there are just not – there's not enough built there to make us care. care. Yep. So then you go back to the love scene, that whole relationship. um, And I just have to wonder if they got the results out of it that they wanted. Because in the scene, which is filmed – (gasps) Going back to my HBO days. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Artistically?
1: Artistically, but also very R-rated. I mean, you know, there's... They they earned that R rating. They earned the R rating. Yes, they do. I I have no problem. I'm not a prude in any way. You know this. I am not a prude when it comes to films at all. Mm -hmm. I just do want to make sure that things have a purpose. Yeah. I'm a little unclear... Based on now that I've seen the film mm-hmm. and what they do with that relationship, what the point of that was. Yeah. And I'm not going to question Charlize Theron's artistic choice. Yeah. Because she pushed for it. This she is not pushed for it and she wanted it. And, and unlike,
0: that's, unlike in a lot of <laughs> Hollywood where the director, the producer, the male director and producer is like, yeah. would this needs to be in it? And they're like, why? And they're like, just, just do it. She was the one who was like, listen, this is important for the way that I view right. this character and the Absolutely. way that I view it. So yeah, credit, credit to her. I just wonder if it,
1: if it paid the dividends that they wanted it to, because it felt a little hollow Mm -hmm. to me when you, when you see what they end up doing with the relationship in that character. And a lot of people are going to talk about that. They're going to talk about the action sequence. They're going to talk about the love scene. Mm -hmm. And I think the movie owes its actresses and its audiences a little more than that. Yeah. If that makes sense. That absolutely does. Um, but I do, I, I do applaud the decision. I just mm-hmm. wish it was executed better.
0: Yeah, uh, that makes so, total sense. Yeah, uh, and then just to kind of to wrap it up with bloody Atomic Lady Legs, <laughs> yeah, Lady Legs. Wrap it up with Atomic Blonde. So David Leach, I mean, after this, like, he is already on board to direct Deadpool two. That's right. So with what he, with what I saw of this fight choreography and the beats that he was able to hit, you get in some great writers do the humor part of it, right. Deadpool 2 is going to be amazing.
1: I think it could be better than yeah. the first Deadpool. And I was I was okay with the first Deadpool. Yep. I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. Um but I think I gave it like a 3-star rating out of 5, which is I rate films on 5 stars. 3 is just a passable. Yeah. I can't say thumb cuz that's the thumb is copyright somebody else. But it's a passable. Is it rating. really? Oh, yeah, he copyrighted that. His estate owns it. The okay. th- thumbs it? up thumbs down, yeah. Ebert? Yeah wow yeah you said he... it you said it not me uh, so fair the enough. litigation comes to you <laughs> right no but like i, I mean it's a passable yeah. recommendation and i'm kind of the same boat here well um, be- before you go into that but i won't go into that yet but i <laughs> i just um i don't know go ahead yeah i cut you off
0: no that's fine so he he, already, he is already on to his next project yeah. deadpool 2 uh i'm excited to see what he does with that especially after this
1: is tj miller in deadpool 2 he has to be continue yeah he asked
0: me. um <laughs> so unless you have something else to say we'll go on to the rating system no
1: no i'm good i jumped the gun i'm sorry i'm eager all right what can i say
0: so the rating system for this podcast uh there are only three choices no thumbs up oh. or thumbs down no stars no letter grades oh, three I choices this. i knew this was coming uh the three choices are good and a good film could be it was passable it was something that i that entertained me for the two hours all the way up to it was the greatest movie that I saw this year. A bad film is something that you walked out of it not really feeling like you would recommend it to somebody, not feeling you know, that it was that it made you feel anything other than just blah. And an ugly film is something that you would never recommend to a friend, that you wasted your two hours at theater, even with delicious popcorn, that it was just <laughs> it was terrible. So Mike going first. Mike Ward of Should I See It? Slash President of the Seattle Film Critics Society. Atomic Blonde, Good, Bad or Ugly, Go. Good,
1: okay, kind of. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I can't say it's bad. It doesn't, it doesn't check those boxes for me as you okay. describe it. I, I wish it was better. I wish fair. I wish it was more cohesive. Good.
0: All right, <laughs> with uh, with a middling good uh, from Mike. I didn't Uh,
1: stomp my foot. I just, you you know, just had to choke the
0: word out. That's okay. Uh, With me for this film, yes, they changed some stuff from the source material. Yes, they only really kept kind of the bare bones of it. The graphic styling choices that they made with it to enhance the story, the music, the fight choreography, the performances, even though, yeah, the cast, this had a fantastic cast from everybody involved, except for maybe the scars guard. He was okay um <laughs> forgot about it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so again, like, again, like too too many people, but the cast was great. Um, I would be interested to see if they move forward with this type of thing. If not, it will stand by itself. I absolutely give it a good. Um, yeah. The plot kind of dragged a little bit, but I was, I was excited by it. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, the neon Renaissance. Uh, well, yeah.
1: and I should mention, and I'm going to sound, I'm way above my pay grade saying this. Mm. Um, there is a prequel mm-hmm. graphic novel there is. that came good out. Job. You did your homework. I did. So if Atomic Blonde 2 gets a green light, which it's opening weekend versus budget, I mean, they're going to come out pretty good oh, yeah. on this. Yeah. It's going to do well. Um, maybe we get a second one. I mean, it's clearly set up to, for there to be yeah. a franchise for Charlize Theron. He, um, mm,
0: here's my problem. Yeah. They should not do the prequel comic. Okay. They should do something original. Good. Bring in Anthony Johnston, have him write a new story. Because Anthony Johnston, I mean, he is a prolific comic book writer. He has written for video games, uh, right. Shadow of Mordor, one of my favorite games of a couple years ago. He wrote some great Daredevil runs. Like, he knows what he is doing. Sure. If you approach him from beginning to end, like, hey, we need a new script and screenplay for Atomic Blonde 2, show us what you got. Yeah. I'm all on board. The prequel comic not as good as coldest winter coldest city it was coldest winter yeah uh, coldest Cold. winter is the prequel uh coldest city so i i'm okay if they do not do the prequel just move forward from here
1: yeah i'd so. be on board with that you know um, sweet
0: yeah okay all right Interesting. so so two <laughs> two goods yeah. from from yeah. us for atomic blonde mine was a little bit more enthusiastic <laughs>
1: yeah no i had something in my throat i think
0: uh-huh yeah sure um now to the next movie on our docket uh, which Mike is going to introduce and give us the synopsis for Detroit, Detroit. Okay. Uh, so we have Detroit directed by Catherine Bigelow, mm-hmm.
1: her, uh, partner in life and in film screenwriter, Mark Bull. They mm-hmm. come back together after working on the hurt locker and zero dark 30. This <laughs> two, is a two little films. That yeah. May, you may, may have, or not have um, won a bunch of awards. Yeah, Maybe you've heard of them. Maybe you
0: haven't mm-hmm.
1: scrappy little filmmakers. These two, <laughs> right. Um, This is a docudrama about the Detroit Rebellion of July 1967, Mm -hmm. and uh, that engulfed the city for a number of days after the police raided an unlicensed bar, which I believe is called a Blind Pig, is Mm -hmm. the name of that. Um, It caused outrage um, in the public, and the film eventually sort of locks into one particular moment uh, or incident at the Algiers Motel, Mm -hmm. where a number of black men and white women are uh, sort of held hostage and terrorized yeah. um, by three white police officers. And the film is released in 2017 uh, and roughly around this time to commemorate, that's not, not the right word, it's not commemorating, but it's in reference, rec- reference and recognition yeah. of the 50-year anniversary of this um, event, tragedy, taking mm-hmm. place. And that is Detroit, yeah. in a nutshell. Um, It's an interesting film to come out in the summer in a, in a summer full of interesting movies where Mm -hmm. at least in the month of July, where we had movies like war for the planet of the apes that were not
0: necessarily as advertised. And these are Uh, not like, and I talked about that on that episode. Yeah. A lot of the movie going audience in the summer are not the people going to see the rated R films. Yeah. Are not going to see the big dramas. They usually save those for the fall. They do. Like at August, like maybe September, even like a, like that weird moment of like post summer, but not really the October, November fall release schedule. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, you are absolutely right. that This is an interesting movie to release in July.
1: Well, so the Algiers Motel, the incident that, that lies at the heart of the film took place July 25th and 26th. Mm-hmm. The movie uh, opens in Seattle this coming Friday. It's right. playing in... Well, certainly L.A. and Chicago and New York, but I and maybe Detroit, actually. I didn't look that up. Yeah, probably. Um, but it did do with a sort of platform release this last weekend, which coincides with the 50-year anniversary. Um, so I get why it's out yeah. in the summer, but I, <laughs> I don't know that audiences are necessarily ready to see what they're going to get. And that's not an indictment on the movie. I'm just mm-hmm. saying as trailered, as marketed, yeah. as shown to people... You get something different. And that's kind of been, at least in a number of instances this year, uh, Get Out comes to mind where um, films have been shown to be something or marketed as something Mm -hmm. and audiences plunk down their money and they get something, I'll even say Spider-Man Homecoming, which I didn't realize Hmm. was going to be as John Hughes Breakfast Club kind of teen oriented as it was. Mm -hmm. That was left kind of out of the market a little bit. Um, so you've got this sort of pattern of movies just this month uh, or last month, I guess now um, that's surprised yeah, mostly in good ways. Uh, and Detroit is definitely one of those. Um, so I'll, I'll defer to you to keep the conversation going. Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts about this movie.
0: So, so yeah, the, this, you know, it does focus mainly on the Algiers motel incident. And in 1967 in Detroit, there were, I mean, it was a number of days that this rebellion and I will continue and always use the word rebellion and not riot. Right. When people sensationalize this and they "Oh, the Detroit riots and this and that, this is a rebellion. Mm -hmm. You have to put this in the context of what was happening in Detroit in 1967 in a city where at that time there were roughly 5000 police officers, you know, in the Detroit police department. One hundred of those were African-American. Mm hmm.
1: Is the number, I'm sorry, is it 93% white, 96% At white? At that time? were the officers
0: oh. the, the breakdown of officers was like 93, yeah. 94%. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And Detroit, again, a lot of people these days, when they think of Detroit, they think of primarily African-American, they think of this and that. 1967, it was not what you think it is and not what it is today. Right. So, you know, it, the, this film starts... With a couple title cards and a couple pictures. An interesting uh,
1: beginning. Because it's, it's an animated beginning. It's almost like a, yeah. a primer on, on you know, what you're referring to. Mm-hmm. But it's done in a very sort of,
0: oh, what, like what are we Like a very surprising, doing? a very artistic and beautiful way. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes all the way back. <laughs> yes. And as, as far as back to African Americans you know, getting here and the struggle. And so that lasts for a couple of minutes, immediately intercut with pictures of 1967 Detroit and all this stuff. And it was like, whoa, what, why? Mm-hmm. Like it was just, that was one of my issues with this film is that the way this was edited, the way this was cut together was incredibly convoluted. And I do not think it did anything to enhance the story. I'm a huge fan of biopics. I'm a huge fan of documentaries. Mm-hmm. I love it when biopics are showing real pictures, real video clips. Right. But there's a a way to do that where it does not feel jarring in this multiple times throughout the movie. Something would be going on and they would cut to real pictures of what happened without setting the stage of that being kind of acceptable or without it being part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. And it did not do anything to enhance it. It was just kind of a thing to do because they were like, oh, we should show what really happened or where this really took place. Right. That, that was interesting. Um, one of my other <laughs> kind of issues mm-hmm. with the film is Catherine Bigelow, who is an Oscar award winning director for The Hurt Locker. Yeah. Um, and she has won a bunch of stuff. Every description of this movie starts with Hurt Which is kinda why I picked the synopsis that I did. (laughs) 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 To kinda underscore what you that point. Yeah, yeah, and it just like as opposed to starting the synopsis with Detroit, nineteen sixty seven. Right. Police violence, police, you know, brutality, blah blah blah, led to the story of, you know, whatever it was. Nope. Everywhere is Catherine Bigelow tells the story and it just like really? Uh, like that was one thing leading up to this movie that I was already hesitant about I was already I had that knee jerk reaction of sure. really this is how this story is going to be portrayed this is how this story is going to be marketed okay. but, that, but you
1: touched on it though that's 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 the marketing piece that I imagine so this is the first so Annapurna Pictures mm-hmm. I won't get to inside baseball here but Annapurna Pictures has been a production house mm-hmm. um, that is funded and and sort of you know shuffled projects to major studios so um, and I think it's Megan Ellison is is involved in this. And this is Annapurna's first theatrical release.
0: Wow, is it really? Uh,
1: hmm. Where they're the standalone oh, yeah, distributor. Oh, yeah, Okay, gotcha. And I imagine – I don't know this. I'm speaking out of turn. But, but I'm imagining that the conversation was something to the effect of I'll make your movie. I will market your movie. We will go all the way with this. When mm-hmm. you want to do it, you're Catherine Bigelow, Mark Bull, you know, mm-hmm. you're amazing – I want this project to be the, you know, the, the, the the first film that we Mm -hmm. release. Yeah. What do you need? What do you want? Let's do it. And I imagine as a marketing tool, Mm -hmm. they're saying Catherine Bigelow, who you've, who's made these two fantastic movies that, that have, you know, affected you that have, you know, been nominated and won Oscars. And she's the only, you know, female to win a best director Oscar. I mean, here she is, she's back and she's telling a story ripped from the headlines of the past. That's, prevalent to today I get it but I get what you're saying (laughs) after I've seen the movie which does open up a question of that I I wasn't going to (laughs) mention but it came up after our screening actually which is who tells this story Mm -hmm. this story is told by Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bowl, and and are they the right people to tell the story I'm of two minds of that. Mm -hmm. Um, this story for whatever reason was not told until they chose to do it. Yeah. Knowing the facts of the story and knowing what it is and how I'll just say how, how prevalent it is to Mm -hmm. things that have happened and still happen to this day. Very much so. Um, I'm happy it exists. I'm glad it's out there. I don't know why, unless there's a documentary that I missed, I don't Mm -hmm. know why this story has sort of sat quietly uh, for a long, long time, for 50 Uh, years.
0: I I mean, I could could go into that. I know, I know. But I
1: just sort of, yeah. yeah, yeah, Maybe I answered my
0: own question. So going along with that, that was something where, so to another recent film, Dunkirk, Mm -hmm. a story that, I honestly did not know anything about going into it because as Americans, we never really, unless you took advanced classes in college or maybe high school, depending on what high school you went to. Not mine. Yeah, definitely not mine, as I already indicated. <laughs> I was busy
1: making a newsletter for my senior project.
0: So and I, I was yeah. busy trying to uh, avoid people doing cranking in the bathroom. Yeah, no, exactly. You were following the rules. And, yeah. you know, all of that. So, um, So with things like Dunkirk, these are stories that need to be and deserve to be told. To right. audiences that did not know they existed. So, a lot of people, you know, from the generation, you know, before us and things, they will remember the 1967 rebellion. They might not have known about what happened at the Algiers Motel. Right. So, similar to Dunkirk, I'm glad this movie exists to educate people on what happened. Dunkirk was done in such a way with such respect to the source material and. People on board who just truly understood it and everything, I did not feel that way with this, okay, and it and it is something that i I struggled with because again, I am very glad this movie is out there. I am very glad that people will get the chance to see a movie talking about an incident that happened that people do not know about right, but that to me comes at a cost that cost is melodramatic BS that undercuts this truly important story and truly important part of American history. The way that this was filmed, the way that this was done, was done in a way that reminded me of a movie that came out last year that was terrible, that tanked at the box office, thankfully, (laughs) uh, called Free State of Jones.
1: Oh, Lord.
0: With Owen Wilson. (laughs) Not Owen Wilson. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, yeah, it takes a, a Civil civil War movie and focuses on this white guy yeah. and what he wants to do. And it it's just like, what, why? Like, yeah. why do we need to see... It's
1: jarring in 2016 to have a Civil War epic told from the white savior standpoint.
0: Yeah. And do not even get me started on the new HBO series that the creator of the Game of Thrones are going to be doing. <laughs> but I, just, I think it is completely unnecessary. Yeah. So with this film, I understand the the desire to want to focus on the white police officers because and their um I will not say lunacy of their uh barbarism that's a great word um i i understand that and that would be okay if this movie focused on the algiers motel for an hour and a half a 90 minute thing sure but what it does is it expand and it goes here and there mm-hmm. three different times. And there might've been more, but I stopped paying attention. I stopped paying attention after three. There were three times when either a white police officer or somebody else was like, why are we treating people differently? Blah. blah. And it was like, what are you doing? Like right. the, just the white savior the crisis of conscience that right. floods
1: in. Yeah. It
0: just, it, it personally offended me because I was like, "Really? Like, why do we need to see that right, right now?" At one point in particular, a white police officer is helping uh, one of the the black characters, and he was just like, "Come with me, brother. You're you're gonna make it." And it was just like, it yeah. it seriously just made me so tense inside because <laughs> it was just unnecessary. Right. Um. So th- that that just kind of <laughs> is kind of my my framework this john boyega uh is the biggest star in this movie some people would say anthony mackie they would be wrong
1: will poulter will poulter well will poulter He's for, maybe the, for more... the indie
0: scene like he has well, been, he is yeah. noticeable
1: i mean he does have maze runner and where the millers it is true i mean that's like my wife saw the trailer and she's like oh that's the, that's the guy from where the miller yeah i mean the, the goofy kid yeah the goofy kid yeah. yeah um but you're right i mean it's yeah John Boyega certainly has, you know, the Star Wars behind him. So, yeah. you know.
0: And and Anthony Mackie is in this, and I have no idea why. I, I truly— he's just, he's just an ensemble role, yeah. Uh, like, uh, in a movie like this where you can put together this movie relatively on the cheap, and I say that because, I mean, essentially you need a couple shooting locations, <laughs> a cast of 12, you know what Anthony Mackie does and what his character does and the drama that he is able to convey was not anything that I was like, I am glad they got Anthony Mackie for this. Right. right. I was just, I was not sure why they chose like John Boyega is great at what he does, but is continually undercut by the way this is filmed, the way they focus on things. And it just, to me, just kind of lost value. In telling the story, that is incredibly important to tell. Interesting. Okay. So. All right. That would just kind of, I mean, yeah. I, again, it, it goes back to the way it was intercut with various news clippings and right pictures. I would, I love that in a lot of biopics. If it fits, this one, if they had just done a ninety-minute Algiers Motel movie where the whole thing took place there, I think that would have been a much more gripping. Tale at one point, kind of towards the end of the second act, it reaches this crescendo. And I kinda looked down, and I was like, We still have over thirty minutes left in this movie. Yeah. Like what are, what are they going to do? Where are they going to go? That last act cut that whole thing out. I don't disagree with you at all there. Like it was and and again I
1: mean, with maybe one exception that I'm thinking of, but, but no I it kind of has the, uh, which, which, uh, is it the last Lord of the Rings that has the 34 oh. finishes, the 34 yeah. endings?
0: Like we're just, it would crescendo, it would reach a point and you're like, this would be nice if it, oh, no, here we go again. Yeah, you go
1: to grab the coat and you're like, this was great, thanks. I mean, oh, no, we're not. Okay, I'll sit back down.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Detroit has a problem ending. I'll say that.
0: uh Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, in a multitude of ways. and I what th- are yours? Well,
1: so let me, let me, I don't want to. I don't know. Well, I disagree a little bit, but not enough to like fall on a sword for it. Um, Mm -hmm. I do like most of the movie. Okay. Um, I will tell you that the scene at the motel um, is, it's incredibly unsettling to -hmm. sit through. Yeah. Um, And it should be. Absolutely. We should feel... Every slur, every punch, every cut, um, every, every gunshot, Mm -hmm. we should feel that. And I did, um, I know that Will Poulter's character, he plays sort of the leader of this, this trio (laughs) of cops Mm -hmm. and he's kind of a composite character, Yeah, uh, but he, um, There is some back and forth about his performance, Mm -hmm. that it's too over the top, Mm -hmm. that it's too cartoonish, and then you'll have someone come right in and say, that's one of the most chilling performances I've ever seen. Hmm. Somewhere in the middle. Okay. Um, I think for what he is asked to do, he taps into some depth that I didn't think he had. I would agree with that, Um, yeah. And I think that he teeters between cartoonishness and just sort of some chilling – hate-filled yeah stuff that that character is trying to work through um no he's not trying uh, to work through yeah. <laughs> it he's trying to push it away because he can't stomach the reality of of what is unfolding before him mm-hmm. which comes at a scene where one of the officers um doesn't understand that there's a trick going on yeah and um, I'm. Tr- I don't know if I can. I'm not really no, wanting to yeah, spoil yeah, it. Yeah, we, we will not go into. But there's the there's house, something but. that the cops choose to do with a handful of the of the of the of the people that are that are in this ho- this motel that are held hostage, Um, and let's just say one of the officers doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. And when that reality comes to Will Poulter's character, there is a moment there where you sort of see kind of what washes over him is a. A holy S because we yep. don't curse on the show. Exactly. Thank um, you. what is happening? Yep. And, and this just th-
0: crossed a line that even I was not crossing
1: and Poulter, I think handles that
0: really well. I agree. Um,
1: that 90 minutes or, or however long that is in the motel is incredibly gut wrenching and hard to sit through. Um, what I don't think the movie does all that well it doesn't build to it very well. There's some confusion yep. as to, like I, you know, I would encourage everybody, first of all, to go back and read about the Detroit yes. rebellion, to read Absolutely. about the Algiers motel incident, to, to, to sort of educate yourself on a moment of history that we all need to know about that mm-hmm. we don't. Um, It's a little clunky how we get to the motel. There's things that are just sort of skirted over that I yep. don't think lend the uninitiated to a proper understanding of what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, The, the incident that, that sparks sort of the police arriving uh, to the motel that's handled fairly. Okay. But, Mm -hmm. but, but the context of, of the, of the rebellion um, or as you know, the riots as it's referred to throughout the movie, which is again, Mm -hmm. another issue that, that, that I think you accurately portray. (laughs) Um, What led to this incident happening is not exactly clear on what a blind pig is, what the significance of the party that the officers break up is. Mm -hmm. You know, that they're celebrating uh, the return of of two soldiers from the community from Vietnam who have come back intact, their home, Mm -hmm. and there's a party. Happening to celebrate them and and the officers arrive, and they're like okay, let's break up this five ten fifteen people, and then there's like what almost a hundred people they're celebrating, yeah we kind of get that, but we kind of don't like those some of those details I fleshed out going back and reading about that incident mm-hmm. because then what happens someone kind of you know they 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 get upset that the officers are back in 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 the neighborhood and they're roughing, you know roughing up these folks. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to have fun. We're just trying to celebrate them getting back. And then an action happens that kickstarts this rebellion and causes all of, you know, sort of these things to happen. But that's not exactly played. I don't want to say accurately, but it's just there's a lot of subtext that's left out. And for a a former journalist, uh, investigative journalist like Mark Boll, who I think has done an admirable, if not tremendous job in writing Um, Zero Dark Thirty, despite the controversies that you and I talked Mm -hmm. about off mic, um, and some of his other work, I was surprised by that because it doesn't feel like that's something he would normally do. So he was either rushing to get to the motel or he just sort of assumed that we knew more than we did. And quite frankly... (laughs) Bad, bad we, assumption. <laughs> we, we don't. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people when we sat down for the screening, just sort of you could hear the chatter among people, kind of that were talking about this movie, wondering what they were going to get. Yep. That has this, no idea because they have no idea. And this yeah. story, this story happens all the time. Yep. In 2017, and it it happens maybe tomorrow somewhere, and we don't hear about it, even in an age of social media where people are snapping pictures and mm-hmm. and you know and in light of of Philando Castile and Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and all these people that we we've seen their executions on film and we've seen officers walk. Mm -hmm. This stuff still happens. These, these, these emotions, these feelings, these, these events are, they're happening every day
0: somewhere. Which, which is again, which leads back to one of my problems with the movie. Yeah. I am tired of seeing movies about black suffering that have this white focus and this, this right. thing It's just like go on facebook you see it go on the news you see it go on twitter you see it G- live live a life where this can happen to you where you are you are taken out of your car and asked if there's anything in the trunk. No matter what documentation you gave to them. Mm-hmm. I may remember talking about personal experience on this. Um, and they search your entire car. right? While somebody is standing there watching. And you never know what is going to happen. You never yeah. know what, what, where it could go from there. I'm tired of seeing that. Because I would so much rather focus on <laughs> the black excellence You know that, sure. that we have. Black Panther comes out in a few months. I cannot wait for that movie, but also movies like girl's trip from a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I like the historical pieces are crucial and are very important, especially with what is going on right now. But as somebody who has seen this and lived through parts of it and is, is connected to it. It just, I I do not need to see it. I, if this were a documentary all on board, hundred percent on board. Yeah. And they even put a title card towards the end of this movie being like, some of the things were fictionalized, blah, 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 because to tell the narrative and you have eyewitness accounts, but that was 50 years ago. Right. You know, so the stuff that they have to put in there to kind of make this into a movie, it just, it kept grating on me. There, there was a good movie in here and, and there were great parts in here. I just think that this was a two and a half hour movie that would have been way more effective with a 90 minute Algiers motel incident. Right, because one of the things that, that affected me the most in a negative way was at the end of this. One of the things I love in any biopic, when you show the pictures of the real people, show news clips of the real people, mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. It immediately humanizes it, and makes you realize, like, okay, this movie that I just watched was based on fact. These are the people. Can we draw one distinction? Uh huh. Between what you're describing.
1: And what um, tends to be the the, the focus now, where uh, uh, say a, a movie about I don't know war mm-hmm. will then end with like a four minute little mini documentary. That's <laughs> you know, can we can we make the distinction yeah. that we're not talking about the on the nose, heavy handed. Yes. Like okay, you've just seen Hacksaw Ridge, so mm-hmm. now we're going to show you like a four or five minute like real. Like, yeah. we're Why? talking about a simple representation yep. of yeah. No, I'm, so I'm with you thousand uh, percent
0: um, what was the Boston marathon bombing recently with Mark Wahlberg Patriot's day? Uh, So that, that ended with the real people talking about it. And I was like, why make a movie with them? Like talk, like do a documentary. So anyway, so with this, it shows some pictures. One of the things that it did not do that made me angry. Uh, speaking of feelings that we felt, uh, through this movie, it shows the picture of John Boyega's character, uh, uh, I forget his first name, but Dismukes was his last name. She has a picture of him, and it says, he still lives in Detroit, blah, blah. She shows a picture of one of the white women. She ended up becoming a teacher and blah, blah. It purposely, whether the, whoever made this choice, the three police officers who were on trial at the end of this movie, and I mean, this is history, so it's not a spoiler, Yeah, were on trial. All three of their faces were blurred. We never got a little title card saying, Officer so-and-so ended up doing this. All we got was they never ended up being active duty police officers again.
1: It would have been nice if there had been some mention of images were blurred at,
0: you know, the some, some, some I know what you mean. Yeah, But it yeah. was just like that was offensive because it was like, why are you still protecting police officers who committed these atrocities who we just saw for two hours? Right. Committing these atrocities. Why are you protecting them now? Why are you choosing to not tell us? This person is this person. This person is this person. But yet with other people, you're okay with it. That offended me. And I, I have no idea why they chose to do it that way.
1: The only thing I can think of is that there was some reason, but I, I understand what you're saying exactly. I mean, unless, I, I mean, are they, I, I don't know. Are these people alive still?
0: I mean. So I, is DeSmooks. He is still alive.
1: No, 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 no. The oh. officers. Like yeah. why, why blur their faces? No, I, I get it. I mean. But when they show up other also, people. Bigelow yeah. and Bull. Mm -hmm. The names of the characters in the movie, I don't think match the names of the officers. So you've got this weird (laughs) decision to tell the story, but to change elements of it that are, that are a little confusing.
0: Yeah. So that was just something. So yeah, Uh, I I could talk a lot more about that, but I I don't really need to. No, no,
1: I, no, I, I think you're touching on some really key points. I, as someone who who feels that Zero Dark Thirty and Hurt Locker, um, I mean, I'll just say I gave them each five star movies. I, mm-hmm. I don't give five stars very often. True, um, it's a criticism it's one of, people have of one me. Of, well, no, it is one of the things I really respect um, about you. Um, this is not that. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, although I'm unsettled on my my star rating or whatever the heck that is mm-hmm. um, at this point, I I think one of the things it, it, it's almost as if you know, and I'm thinking back to the to the multiple endings where she's, mm-hmm. well, they they are trying to wrap up four different storylines. Four different storylines, and yet there's a there's a piece in there where, because um, because one of the subplots that I think is clunk clunkily
0: that's mm-hmm. not a word that but, is not a word at all. <clears throat> I try. I'll, it again. I'll accept it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll allow it. Thank you. Uh, that isn't done well. Mm-hmm. Um, is the story of the dramatics? Yep. Now, here's a piece where the Dramatics were an R&B vocal group that, uh-huh. that gained success in the 70s, at a couple of big hit songs. Um, they have a connection to this story. Absolutely. That I don't know that Bigelow knows exactly what to do with. Yeah. <laughs> um Because she sees the importance of, of drawing a connection to something that, that we maybe are familiar with.
2: Uh-huh.
1: But she's also not able... To 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 finesse that into the story very well. So you've got one of the the dramatics were a five piece vocal group. Mm-hmm. The impact of this event makes them a four piece. Mm-hmm. It it alters the life of one of the, of the individual. I think his name is Larry Reed. Uh, to such a degree that he literally is scared to leave his house. Yep, understandably so. Mm-hmm. And it builds to this moment of sort of personal redemption. Um, that is moving mm-hmm. but it also doesn't quite fit because nope. again <laughs> what we're trying to do is put I don't know what to say like blankets and context just all this stuff around this incident when if you're not going to do it well mm-hmm. don't do it
0: yeah that's all and, and do not make it bloated and do not like so yeah I, I totally agree and, yeah. and the multiple endings in a biopic, you can do that because usually there are multiple people involved and you can go different avenues, but it just, none of these felt like they connected the people that they left out purposely offended me. <laughs> right. Um, so it just, it was odd. There are good performances though, from the cast. I mean like Boyega, yeah.
1: Boyega, is great. Boyega has probably the, the biggest arc if you yeah. will. Yeah. Um, and I think there are scenes that he handles really well. Uh, Jason Mitchell Let's remember him from Straight of Compton mm-hmm. when he played Eazy-E. Right. He is here for five minutes. Yeah. Um, it's great five minutes, though. It is. <laughs> I mean, he sort of like just takes this movie kind of on his back. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a key component to, to the story. For sure. Um, and, you know, you see the movie, you'll understand why he's only in it for five minutes. But, I mean, he's sort of a lightning bolt in this whole thing.
0: Um, John Krasinski did not need to be in this movie at all. Yeah, no,
1: that was, that was jarring. And it's, I like John Krasinski, but you Not know, in this. you just see him as Jim from The Office yeah. being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think I liked the technical aspects of the movie maybe a little better than you did. I liked okay. the cinema verite uh, sort of approach. Um,
0: it felt raw. I will give it that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And and I understand, you know, people that think that that's just this this salacious sort of way of telling the story. I mean, she's used cinema verite, sort of you are there. In both her and yeah. and zero dark mm-hmm. 30 and probably even dating back. I mean, we're sort of locked into those movies. Those are her kind of benchmark Oscar contender yeah. movies. Um, so I, I do think, and, and I think again, the editing around that Algiers motel sequence is, is really crisp mm-hmm. and, and that's just Agreed. terrifying yeah. for me to say, you know, as I, as I watched it, um, But yeah, I I think where the movie breaks down for me, and I do think I maybe like it a little more than you do, but but not by a lot. Um, (laughs) But I think it breaks down around everything else. It needs to be tighter in the beginning. It needs to have a better intro to what happens. We need a better context. If you're gonna give us lots of subplots, you got to be cleaner in the end. You got you got to give us one or Mm -hmm. two, not give us four or five. Yeah,
0: it it dilutes it.
1: And you've got to you've got to make that court scene tighter and more meaningful because mm-hmm. here's the thing. We can laugh about Krasinski. It drew chuckles in our press screening it, yeah, or our preview screening audience because nobody knew he was in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of walks in from a different movie, quite frankly, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, Jim from the office is the defense lawyer for the yeah. police. Um, that aside, there are moments in that court scene. It's kind of maybe the theme of the whole movie. There are moments in that court scene sequence that, that work. Mm-hmm. There's moments that don't. And at the end, it's kind of just, it's kind of a means to an end. Yep. You sort of know where it's going, even if you don't know the story, because you can kind of tell there's a reason why this movie exists. So when you get to the court case or the court, uh, the trial, even if you don't know the story, you can tell where this is going. And that's okay. Cause this is historical and you, you just, you're going to understand you're getting this movie for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the reason becomes pretty apparent in yep. the court scene. Right. Um, but you've just – it it hangs too long. It's got to be tighter. It's got to mm-hmm. be more, more emotional, more constricting on the individuals that are most going to be affected by what ultimately happens with these officers. For sure. Um, so, yeah, it's a mixed bag for me, um, <laughs> yeah. which is frustrating because I love Catherine Bigelow's movies. I mean if you go through the resume, I, I, there may be – I don't know. I'd have to think if there's one I didn't like um, – and you know, this one is well-intentioned. I think like, I don't think they were attempting to do things untoward. I just think that maybe it got away from them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if you've got an, an enthusiastic studio who has worked with Catherine Bigelow and is championing her work and is ready to go with this, um, maybe they gave them too much room. Maybe they didn't tighten it up. Maybe they just all in whatever you want to do. We're behind it. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, this is what we got. This is this is what we got. That is a good way. <laughs> uh, so for for the rating of of this movie of Detroit, <laughs> uh, I will go first. Um, I had a lot of problems, as I already talked about, a lot of problems with this movie. Yeah, in a lot of different ways. This was not ugly because again, there was a crisp, tight movie in here. Yeah, that just got bloated and diluted. Uh that being said, to me it isn 't absolute bad because i go on YouTube and you can find you know uh news reports from Detroit news stations, both when that happened and especially now with fifty year anniversary coming up right Watch those get to know the real story, get to know the real people, the real community this movie it just it was sensationalized it was over dramatic it was just yeah, it was just bloated. Um, so to me, it is a bad, uh, mm-hmm. because it could have been so much better. So how does mine? What about yours? Good, bad or ugly? Yeah. So
1: I'm wrestling with bad or good, um, in your context mm-hmm. because for 95 or a hundred minutes, this movie is as raw and as difficult and maybe even to some extent powerful, a movie that I've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the story it's, that it's trying to tell absolutely needs to be told. Yep. Thousand percent. Um, and we need to know it and learn from it. So in that regard, it's good. There is a lot of superfluous <laughs> stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: some of what you talk about in terms of the narrative decisions and some of the things that maybe Bigelow and Bowl unintentionally stumble into Right. That could rub people the wrong way. Clearly it did with you and, mm-hmm. a, and your words are very eloquent. Oh, well, um, thank you. that would make it a bad. So I guess final rating. <laughs> I'm going to say good because okay. I want people to see it. I want people to feel it. That, that is it's, it's messy. Mm-hmm. It's not as clean and crisp as her, their collaborative mm-hmm. other works. Um, here we are 50 years later, though. There's still no documentary. There's still no TV, like one hour special about that. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no effort beyond this to tell this story. Yep. That's maddening.
0: Yep. <laughs> um, and that that is why, again, I was offended because this is what we got. This story deserves better. It does deserve so. better. Yeah. I just maybe I want people to see it because that fair.
1: that's all we have. So maybe I'm I'm saying the same thing just on the other side. (laughs) Totally fine. Maybe we're canceling each other out on this, but
0: uh, it makes sense. Yeah. So okay. Anyway, Uh, so that was Detroit. Uh, I gave it a bad. Mike gave it a good. Um, yeah. So we're we're wrapping up. Where can people find? all of the information about you, where people find your reviews, and also where people find the most up-to-date information about the Seattle Film Critics Society. Okay,
1: well, let me go through it. So, you can find my work at shouldiseeit.net, mm-hmm. uh, not.com, as we established. Yes, and you can find the Seattle Film Critics Society website at seattlefilmcritics.com, mm-hmm. and you can throw a follow at Seattle Critics uh, on Twitter. Excellent. And that's our social media portal at this point. Um, you can see who our members are. Um, there's a couple press releases. We're working on getting the awards from, you know, our previous sort of voting iterations over to the site that'll be coming. Um, and then you can find me at, should I see it on Twitter?
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you, Mike, uh, oh, for finally you. coming out of the studio. We have been uh, working on this for a while, so yeah. I really appreciate coming down. You have been just uh, a really great friend and a huge fan and supporter and one of my inspirations for, for doing this. So oh my gosh, I, uh, uh, thank you.
1: I'm honored to be on, uh, on your show and uh, on your podcast, and um, this, this was great. Yeah, thank you very much. It
0: means a lot. Of course. You are welcome anytime. I mean, anytime as in when I call the rental company about the red carpet and getting that smudge removed. But Seriously.
1: I mean, <sighs> so sorry. I don't ask for much.
0: Just a pristine and pure red carpet.
1: You know, just give me the note. I'll talk to them. It's fine. I'll, I'll make it good. Don't worry
0: about it. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Uh, Great. So on this episode, uh, I also want to uh, definitely thank Matthew Cherry for taking the time out of his insanely busy schedule uh, for taking a few minutes and talking about hair love. I will put all the show notes for the Kickstarter uh, in. I'll put all the links for the show notes. Wow. Link for the (laughs) Kickstarter in the show notes uh, as well as Matthew A. Cherry on Twitter. Thank you, Matthew. That was that was incredible. Uh, We talked about Atomic Blonde. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was a beautiful mess. Uh, the, the neon Renaissance, <laughs> a neon laden mess. Yeah, Uh, and then we also talked about Detroit, which we you know we kind of agreed on some points, kind of disagreed, but it is a story that needs to be told, and if this is the only way that you can see this story being told, then then you can then you can do that. So, and as for this podcast, like I mentioned at the top of the show, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About Two Review. Subscribe on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on (laughs) Blueberry, Stitcher, uh, PodBay. Here is a challenge for my listeners, uh, because I think this will be working by the time this drops. Take a video, and anybody who has an Alexa in their house, say, Alexa, play About to Review. Because I think I'm now on there as well. Fantastic! I do not know that for sure because I do not own an Alexa, <laughs> but I think I <laughs> I was working with um <laughs> working with some stuff this week and I think I might be listed on there as well. It's beautiful work! So anywhere that you can subscribe to podcast, you can find me on there on my website abouttreeview.com. Uh, yeah, you can get all of the information there as well. So you're f- everywhere. I am everywhere. Love it. Uh, the next couple of episodes are gonna be kind of crazy there are some movies coming out there will be part two eventually to too late or worth the wait with tim and aaron that was a
1: great show part
0: Uh, one by the way thank you part two is going to be real interesting we're going to start record or record that in a couple weeks so look forward to upcoming episodes with more movie reviews and special episodes with my amazing friends and guests so for this episode i have been your host that guy named john i'm mike ward and we will see you next time This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter, at Vexing Media.